This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Very often I get the question, so, Red Horse, what is this always more you talk so much about? Well, I'll be happy to tell you. I learned a long time ago that no matter how much knowledge I gained, no matter how much wisdom, no matter how much life I experienced, there would always be someone out there who knew something I didn't. Someone who was wiser than me. Someone that had or would experience things that I could never even dream of. Fast forward to my work as a teacher of transcendence. Once I recognized that no matter how profound an awakening one might experience, regardless of the depth of a given insight, there would always be more, much more to learn, more to encounter, much, much more to be. The old saying of reaching the top rung of one ladder only to discover you now find yourself at the bottom rung of another ladder, this is quite illustrative. We live in a dimension of infinite possibility. We have the power of choice. How could there not always be more? Knowing that there is always more is really quite humbling. I tend to be cautious, even downright hesitant, whenever I find myself tempted to use the word always in a given situation. In this regard, though, I am quite comfortable and quite confident. Never forget, there is always more. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. Where are your manners? No, really. Where are they? Do you have them? And by manners, I don't mean which fork goes where next to the plate, the proper greeting to say to a duke, or how deep your bow should be to the elderly second cousin of your mother-in-law. Those aren't manners. Those are gestures, which are a form of manners, but not manners themselves. Manners are deeper. To me, they're a mode of interacting with the world and all the people and things in it. The everyday man treats his objects like people and his people like objects. A good man treats his objects like objects and people like people. But the well-mannered man treats both objects and people the same, like two different manifestations of life's magic. Almost no one does this today. How many men do you know who act like this? Did your parents teach you? Did you learn it in school? Do we ever see it in movies as anything but a joke? Which is why I'm so grateful to have met my guest this week, 
His name is Billy Redhorse, otherwise known as the Gentleman Mystic. He's a writer, teacher, Zen master, and to me, a shining guide to what it means to be a well-mannered man and a classic Southern gentleman in all respects. In our conversation, we discussed how tribes of men are forming to respond to the reckoning that's building in our culture, the story of his top protege and how the student and master have been each other's best instructors, the difference between environmentalism and conservationism, the transformative power of craftsmanship and what your belongings and clothes say about you, and finally, the difference between fiction, fantasy, and magic and how they can intersect in as small a space as a butterfly. As Mr. Redhorse says, quote, Awakening is the goal. Refinement, manners, and the experience of beauty are the path. Transcendence in this lifetime is possible. And as a valued elder in this growing renaissance of men, his words carry a special weight. So, for all you men seriously considering what it means to be a man long into a fulfilling life, listen up. Grandfather has some stories. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the gentleman mystic, Mr. Billy Redhorse. Mr. Redhorse, let me try that again. Mr. Redhorse, sir. <laughs> All right, right out the gate. We're going we're gonna to practice the whole editing thing. You just need to leave that as it is and we'll go. You're probably right about that, actually. Well, let me finish the thought. I think I probably will. Mr. Redhorse, sir, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, Mr. Spencer, I am so grateful for the invitation. And already, we've before you pressed record, we've been laughing and joking, and this is just going to be a delight. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. And I normally start off podcasts a bit more smoothly than that, but I think I just, <laughs> just let that one just kind of be. <laughs> well, I'm good in people's mind. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I, I wanted to acknowledge you as sir, because we share um, a value around uh, manners. And I wanted to just acknowledge that, that the respect that I have for you uh, as a wise, as a wise elder, if that's appropriate, an appropriate moniker to give to you. And I regard you in such a way. And as someone who's benefited from your wisdom, I, I offer that gesture of respect to you calling you, sir. Hey, and I receive it uh, in the, with the respect that it's giving and I return it in kind, young man. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Hey. That was lovely. Well, I'd like to start out by uh, reading a quote from your blog. Because I was reading through your blog and I found so many wonderful things like, oh, I'll start off with that one. And the more that I read into your blog, the more quotes I pulled. And I think I have several pages of quotes that I've been regarding. Where can I start the conversation? I'll, I'll, <laughs> there's so many There's so many great places, including a particularly prophetic one that you wrote in 2018 that I'll get to later. But I'll, let's start off, let's start off in an, with an easy spot. Quote, to my way of thinking, there is nothing more fundamental to the human experience than the refinement demonstrated through and by the considered and genuine display of decorum in our interactions with one another. And I read that and I thought that was absolutely remarkable because these conversations are not being had right now. And I think that there's a generation of men coming up that are recognizing the need for more formality in their relationships with each other, with women, with their, with their relations all around them. So I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Well, right there is where part of the problem is. Uh, you know, uh, even men of my generation, you know, I'm, I'll be 60 years old in several months. Um, and uh, the word formality, it really bothers a lot of people. And I guess in a way it bothers me because it, it doesn't, it doesn't address fully what I mean by the, the quote that you, that you just so eloquently mm. read. Um, there is, when I speak of refinement, when I speak of civility, 
um, you know, we that um, automatically brings up the the whole concept of etiquette or mm-hmm. of um, you know rules. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. believe me, I people may think that I, I that I like rules and you know you follow the rules and you only use the certain fork and you know your 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 the belt you wear absolutely must match your shoes. Uh, that ain't what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There is a certain you know when I when I look back on the, some of the good examples in my past of, you know, men that were, they would pick at each other. They would laugh. They would, uh, they would go out behind the woodshed and, and settle disputes with fists sometimes, mm-hmm. but there, there was always a respect mm-hmm. and the respect that I give to other men and certainly to other women and even more importantly to mother life, to the, to the environment in which we live, I don't do it so much to acknowledge these other outside forces. Mm. I do it for me. Mm-hmm. It, makes, it, it, it makes my heart sing. It makes me smile. Mm-hmm. It it touches it, it it I recognize that this is the very reason I was born into this life mm. to not to be distracted by all of the the you know the the follow all frivolity of the day of the, of the politics and the the absolute insanity that we know is going on right now and mm-hmm. things that are not the way they should be but to if we can get past, if I can get past all these distractions, then I can spend my remaining years in joy, just being, just, mm-hmm. just, I, I, it, to me, when this is done properly, it's like a dance. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a dance that's um, plotted out, you know, that's choreographed, or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's uh, an inspired and, you know, just of the moment type situation. But there's a, there's something, Mr. Spencer, you know, just the fact that I'm, you know, I, how old are you, Will? I'm 43. Okay. Well, you're, you're, you you look very young for your age. You're not, you're not quite as young as I thought. So thank you. Uh, that, that was a, uh, a, a misstep on my part. Still, I've, I've got clothes older than you. So. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> and to be honest, I'm sure those clothes are amazing if they're older than me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but to, you know, to be able to, to, to interact with a younger man and, and to be, you know, I, I don't need anybody to kiss my ass. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody to kiss my ass. I want, any respect I get, I want to engender. Mm-hmm. I want people to look at me and say, I don't know what that old man's got. I just know that I want it. Mm-hmm. And okay, if he's talking about manners, if he's talking about refinement, if he's talking about you know fill in the blank, maybe I should stop for a minute and listen. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I, I there's just so much more that we deprive ourselves of if we say, oh man, you know, I just yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to follow the rules. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to learn the rules. Yeah, I, I used to be a musician. And one of the most profound things I ever heard was learn the rules before you break them. Absolutely. And that is, that is so applicable across disciplines is across, it, it's applicable across times. And, you know, sometimes it's important that, you, I mean, if I'm dressed formally, 
you can bet my belt is going to match my footwear, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Unless it's, approved it by just, Tanner Guzzi. Uh, Tanner, <laughs> Tanner has his own way of doing things. And I appreciate it. Matter of fact, if you dig back in my Twitter feeds uh, back to early 2018, you will find a picture of me holding that young man's book. <laughs> oh, yes. A wonderful book. <laughs> it absolutely is. And, and he's, a, he's a wonderful young man, too. And so, but uh, I, I don't know if that uh, satisfied the, uh, the question, but there you have it. No, I, I completely understand. And, and I appreciate you uh, calling me out on the use of the word formality because that does apply some adherence to some external authority that defines our behavior in a way that's inauthentic to who we are versus an acknowledgement of some higher order, I guess you might say, of behavior that that indicates grace and structure and the, what we see all around us instead of this kind of like amorphous, like, hey, bro, how you doing? You know, because there's a better way that we can regard yeah. each other with respect and deference and with, and, and that, acknowledges each other's mutual dignity. And I think that's, that's the word that's swimming around here. Yeah, that is a, um, that is a bone of mine uh, Mm. that I pick uh, continually. You know, I have had men uh, 30 years, my junior, they go, Hey, Billy, (laughs) Hey bro. Uh, And I'm sorry. I'm not only am I almost 60 years old, I'm a Southern gentleman. Indeed. And you, you do not call a man old enough to be your father, damn near old enough to be your grandpa by his first name. And you don't call him Billy. It, you know, the kind of the cutoff point for me is you, you better be at least 50 years old. Mm. There's, there's a couple of cats out there that they wouldn't hurt my feelings if they called me Billy, you know, uh, uh, Noble Brown or Mm -hmm. uh, Bobby Dino, you know, they're, they're uh they're part of the va- the uh, gray wave junior varsity as I like to call it. <laughs> I love it. But but uh, you know s- someone that you know I I have a son that's thirty eight years old, mm. and if you're if you're twenty three years old and you're calling me by my first name and I did not tell you that it's okay, uh, that's bad medicine mm-hmm. and it's very disrespectful. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's and you know some folks would say you know I'm like that. Uh, uh, Simpsons cartoon characters, you know, shouting at clouds. Well, okay. I don't care. You know, it, it's just a matter of decorum. I mean, I, I, I call these young men that address me by my first name. If I know their last name, I call them Mr. Smith. Mm. It's just, it's just, it's good medicine. And yeah, sure. There, you know, I'll, I'll go to the gym with, with Tanai Ricks or Steven Story. And, and both of those young men are just, I mean, I mean, they're, they're, they're amazing young men and, and have done wonderful things in their life. But again, you know, they're early thirties mm-hmm. and, you know, if they call me by my first name and we're, we're picking up heavy weights, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's a different you know, environment. Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's environmentally, uh, um, specific. And, and also I understand that, you know, we, we have known each other long enough that, Hey, you know, they've, they've earned, yeah, and, and this, this sounds so arrogant and I really don't care, mm-hmm. but they've earned the right to call me by my first name. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, and that, that's kind of a tangent, but it, yeah, it, it gives you a, a little bit of an understanding of where I'm coming from. Yeah. And, and I cannot emphasize too much the whole Southern gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a different breed. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my father-in-law, he's 80 years old. I have never called him by his first name oh, wow. without putting 
without putting the the, the uh, identifier Mister Mister Lamar, mm-hmm. and that's only in recent years. He's been Mister Hunt for the longest time, mm-hmm. and that's just and and the thing of it is, he's never demanded it of me, never. Mm-hmm. But it's just understood. That's good decorum. You know, it's it's Miss Christine, it's Mister Hunt, or uh, Mister Lamar. It's you know, we, you know, you grow up in the South and, you know, there, there may be some neighbors that are old enough to be grandmas and grandpas and no, no, just call me Ruth. Just call me Homer. Okay. Miss Ruth. Okay. Mr. Homer. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's the way it's done. You know, the, the, the South and, you know, my, my, my brother and dear, dear friend, Chief Chuck Whitworth, you know, we all the time are talking about the Southern honor culture. Mm-hmm. It's just, it just is there's a delight in it. And yeah. if you want to just dismiss it because it's some old fashioned thing, well, it's your loss, pal. Mm-hmm. Whoever would say that. I agree. And I think that this is the appeal of movies like the sound of music or some of those, uh, some of those period Trump dramas, like, a like you'd see an adaptation of Jane Austen or, um, what's the one, what's the recent series on the BBC that was so popular? about the about oh, uh, Downton Abbey Downton Abbey. And I think the reason why those yeah. appeal so much is that, uh, today, especially is there's a sense that every little gesture, every cocked eyebrow, or every change of posture communicates so much in a way that we're not used to today. And, and to, to have, uh, shall we say guidelines of decorum or dignity is a way of saying that the way that we interact each other with each other communicates specific things that we want to be intentional about rather than just kind of allowing to happen. And you have to communicate. We all have to communicate with intention, with more than just our words, but with our body language, our diction, and so much of that that we've lost in this notion of, oh, there are no rules and no boundaries and no nothing, and you can just be whatever. It's like, But that hasn't served us, obviously. It, it, it's actually degrading well, all look, of society. Just look outside your door right now. Look at, at, yeah. your, at your news feed. You know, no, no rules. You know, I've, yeah. I am at the tail end of the boomer generation. I am probably the last year that could be officially considered boomer. And I'm telling you, it it, it, it used to early on kind of get under my skin just a little bit when people would, you know, whole cloth blame a generation. Right. But you know what? They're right. <laughs> my generation dropped the ball. My generation, the, the ones that are a little older than me, were basically the hippies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand the desire for that whole free love and, and, you know, let's, let's break away from the over constricture and over rules of things. But it's like many other things in human history, the pendulum can't swing all the way from one side to the other. If the goal is balance. You have to go straight to the point of balance. So to go from being overly uh, constricted, overly uh, ruled, overly, you know, fill in the blank to, woo, you know, Mm. it's just all, there's no consequences. Well, we've seen now what happens when there are no consequences. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I would actually argue that probably the goal was to swing all the other way to sort of shatter civilization to allow something to be rebuilt out of it. And there are certain philosophies out there that actually, you know, those political philosophies that they're pretty open about that. But what's so fascinating is that to whatever extent that's true, what we're talking about now in terms of, in terms of manners 
is a desire within within men organically and women women too to d- to discover their own order and not have this third order imposed on them to say no I'm seeking a higher order in my life whether they seek it in physical fitness or diet or exercise or, or spirituality or religion or manners like it's like there's this knowledge in our bodies that like this era of disorder that, that we're living in isn't serving me so where can I go to find order that isn't being told to me by the TV mm-hmm. That is very well said. Very well said. Well, so to that point, actually, that you, there was something that you, there was something else that you said um, in, in your blog that I wanted to remark on. Um, manners, as postulated here, go much further and speak more to a genuine and express dignity that demonstrates a profound appreciation of and respect for life, self, and others. I wonder if mm-hmm. you could speak more about that because I think this is exactly what we're talking about. Well, the so much of what is at the root of our grand ailments and afflictions these days is a lack of respect for self and others. Uh, in particular, uh, you know, our environment. We, mm-hmm. we look at, uh, we have rightly or wrongly been perceived or perceive ourselves to be apart from nature. Mm-hmm. We are not. We are a part of nature. There is no, you know, the, there's the old saying of no man is an island. Well, no species is an island. Mm-hmm. You know, I am I am not an environmentalist. I'm a conservationist in the purest sense of the word. I want to conserve the beauty that is outside my window right now. Beautiful. You know, I, I live next to a beautiful little forest. Yeah, you know, even though I'm in uh, you know the, the northern uh, regions of uh, Georgia, yeah, and uh, right on the outside of Atlanta. Um, this. I'm I'm so blessed. To, you know, I walked out my door yesterday morning and saw a magical, magical owl sitting in a tree, mm. and it it just made me smile. I can and on any day look out my window or sit on my porch and see families of deer playing, the trees, the you know the the magical cycles of uh, the the change of seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, just what what I saw when I looked out this window two weeks ago is very, very different from how it looks now. And two weeks from now, there will be an explosion of green mm. and, and, and white and just magic beauty. And to honor that and to recognize it and to know that I am a part of that. And that is a part of me. Mm. It, again, I think I used the term earlier, it makes my heart sing. Mm-hmm. And to, to think that, what I do does not impact that is absurd. And to think that what that does does not impact me, you know, and I, and a lot of folks will hear me speak that way. And, you know, they'll ask about the the name or, you know, whatever discipline I've come from in all of my years, you know, on this mother earth. Um, and sometimes I will say things that will shock them because I don't think that there's, uh, you know, I, I don't want to pollute the air. I don't want to piss and shit in my water. I don't want yeah. us to to do to do callous and careless things to our environment. But I also recognize that Mother Life is a hell of a lot stronger and a hell of a lot more resilient than we give her credit for. Mm-hmm. And you know, so much. And, and it's not just outside my window. I recognize that most of the um, environmental changes that we're dealing with now are not human driven. And that freaks a lot of people out. Oh, yeah. oh you're, you know, what, what we're dealing with is, is energetics far greater than, you know, mere 
human beings, we're dealing with solar and cosmic mm-hmm. changes. And it's not punishment. You know, no, no great hairy thunderer God is sitting on a throne and saying, y'all are, you know, y'all are a disappointment. So I'm going to mess up your day. <laughs> it's just right. part of what it is, you know, grand solar minimums, grand solar maximums, you know, ice caps are melting on Mars. That is not because of my car. <laughs> Let's hope not. Elon yeah. Musk put a car out there or something. <laughs> yeah, small. but it was, it was electric. So, <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. But you know, let's now again, the, and the fact that I have to reiterate this is so uh, uh, emblematic of how short sighted and, and ignorant some people are. I'm not saying destroy the earth. I'm not saying rape, pillage, and burn, right. and strip mine. No. Be smart, you know, because whatever we, whatever we take, we need to give something back. That's just, that's just it, it's reciprocity. It's, it's the way of life. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, don't, you know, don't come up with these grandiose explanations for things and, and give, you know, humans are capable of amazing things. Mm-hmm. But there's some things even we can't do. So, you know, just to, to, you know, to, to come back to your question or the request of me to speak on this, just acknowledging that we are all, whether we know it or not, and whether we like it or not, we're all dancing. Mm -hmm. We're all dancing together. And okay, I might like a type of music that somebody else doesn't like, and that's cool. And please, I don't, the last thing I want is to live in a world populated by Billy Red Horse clones. Mm -hmm. That would be so boring. That would be so, so just tedious. You know, I want, I I want the, the uh, variety. I want to find cultures that I want to appropriate. (laughs) I think people talking about, uh, you know, disparaging cultural appropriation. I, it was not that long ago that it was this a sign again of high respect that you wanted to incorporate another culture's another aspect of a culture into your own. It said, "Hey, we recognize the value of of what you're doing. It's magic. Can can we can we share? Here's you know here's what we do. What do you think? Can we braid this magnificent braid of knowledge and wisdom and experience?" Because you know, if if you want something to be strong, a, a a rope that only has a single filament, even no matter how thick that filament is, it it has its limitations. Mm. But if you take even tiny little filaments and you braid them, you not only do you have strength, you have flexibility, mm. you have movement, and this nonsense of. Uh, I mean, when you take it to the the absurd, oh, only. Only people born in France can cook French food and eat French food. Only people that that are that, that are, are you know North American play can uh, Native Americans can can play the drum. Mm-hmm. Uh, last time I checked, drums were all over this Mother Earth. That's right. So just don't you know acknowledge that, dance with it, and grow and and smile. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy it. If a, yes, and and. What I love, I just want to thank you because everything that you're saying is just creating all this explosion of topics in my mind in different directions. <laughs> different, it's really fantastic. Which direction, which direction am I going to go with this? And and I think where I'm, I think where I'm landing is 
you talk about you don't want to live in a world full of Billy Red horses. And in, on your blog, you did an, an, uh, an article called The Button, that, if, you, that mm. if there was a button you could push that would make everyone think exactly like you, I th- uh, maybe you phrase it in a different way, but if you could push that button and everyone would think exactly like you, you know, a thought experiment, would you push it or not? And uh, go ahead, answer that question and explain what your, what your answer was. The, this actually came about because of several people I know that I know it comes from a place of what they view to be the greater good. I know that it comes from a place of they think that it's what's best for humanity. Uh, but these people, one person in particular, that without hesitation, if he could press a button and change the entirety of the human population into agreeing with his politics, with his view on social issues, with his view on food, with his view on, you know, you name it, he would push that button without hesitation. Mm. Not even a moment of hesitation. Because, you know, the, 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 in the thought experiment, the, the, I, I was specific to say and careful to say that no one would be harmed in, when the button was pushed. No one would uh, experience any discomfort. Matter of fact, when they got on the other side, they would be in complete agreement. Mm-hmm. As for me, if a button like that existed, that I could push the button and everybody would have uh, my perspective, my view on manners, my view on uh, fine clothing and and good liquor and watches and and things that apparently are just you know it's just so hedonistic and have nothing to do with with spirit and and you know and seriousness. I would not only would I not push that button, I could not mm. push that button. It's just it goes against every fiber of my being because I think the greatest gift that the human race has is the gift of choice. Mm-hmm. Some people look at it as free will. And I'm, I'm sorry, do not come at me with the arguments. There's no such thing as free will. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't, I do not buy into predestination yeah, because you know, then nobody has, there, there's no reason to, to even do anything. And you might as well go ahead and pull the plug. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now granted there are certainly, um, arcs that we follow. Some people call it karma. You know, we can talk about that at some point if you want to, my views on karma. But to, there are people out there doing very, very frustrating things. I'll I'll, I'll be kind and use that term. It's very, very Uh, neutral. (laughs) Especially in the last 13 months. But even as frustrated as I am, I wouldn't push the button and make the masks away. I wouldn't push the button and make the fear go away that so many people have evidenced that they have allowed themselves to fall prey to and victim to. I wouldn't push the button because I don't want anybody imposing their will on me. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's bad medicine. Mm Mm-hmm. I really like that distinction because I read that article and I was like, oh, I was really tempted. It's like, oh, I'm kind of tempted for the good of humanity, for the good of the planet. But I was negotiating in myself about that because, of course, I recognize everything that you're talking about. Um, but I hadn't, you know, I hadn't quite landed on, I hadn't quite landed in an answer that I was satisfied with yet. That's not to say that it was resolved. It was like, well, I still want to continue chewing on it 
But when you boil it down to a matter of, of free will, I think that's absolutely where where everyone has to land, essentially, is this notion that you cannot, should not coerce someone into anything, even a way of thinking, even for what you might call the greater good. Because I was originally thinking like, well, would I take that on to my own soul to save the whole world? And But it's not about that because I was, I was viewing it very individualistically when the reality is more, it's more <laughs> collective. Like, do I have the right to force a will on another? It has nothing to do with my soul. I actually had it, I actually had it backwards. So when you frame it that way, you're absolutely right. I don't have, I don't have my right to force my worldview onto anyone's perspective. And, and ultimately why I feel comfortable landing in that spot now is I, re, I believe in what I call the redemptive function of the universe, that there is a fall and a redemption if you have the courage and the strength to ride the down all the way back up. And that's Joseph Campbell's hero's journey that sort of says you ride it all the way to the bottom and you find your way back up. And that is the story of my life. That's the story of so many different people's lives in terms of redemption. And I believe that's also a a very powerful story for the human race. So even if we can't get everyone to agree, maybe we have to just ride this down to discover a higher, a higher up, I suppose. You know, I, and this, this may sound arrogant and I don't, I haven't been arrogant since I was a young man. I'm very confident. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say that I think my way is the better way. Mm. Uh, And I would, if people came to that, um, that assessment on their own through trial and error, great. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I would not, could not, absolutely would not push the button. I, um, I have a saying that I use over and over and over again uh, that you know I, I don't proselytize to people. I don't try to convince people to to view the world the way I do because in its way that's a soft button. Mm. What I try to do and what I, I I fail at it miserably, but I, I continue to to try to refine and do better and to be a better man mm. and to be a better example. And that's this. I want someone to, and it's happened. I want people to come up to me and say, Red Horse, I don't know what it is you got. I just know that I want it. Mm-hmm. That, that is magic. That is, that is, that is the best way to, to live by example, to, to show people that there, there are options. There are better ways. There are, at, at the very least, there are other ways. Mm-hmm. You know, something else I'm prone to say is, you know, try it my way for six months. Right. And if it doesn't work, you can always go back. You can always go back to whatever you were doing before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people do, some people don't. You know, I have likened, you know, when, I've, when I was uh, teaching a little more regularly in public, that the, uh, the door on my house might as well have been a revolving door. Mm. As people would come in, they'd get a little bit of medicine, you know, they'd get a little bit of guidance, and they were gone and off again. And I've, in, in all of my years of teaching and, and, and sharing, you know, whatever it is that I do, uh, I've, I've had very, very few students that have hung around long enough to really get to the point of becoming a black belt. So, okay, now they've unlearned everything. Now they're ready to learn something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well said. Well, so, so this would be a good time to transition to for the, for the listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work and what you do, maybe you can give a bit of background on yourself and, and, the, and the teaching and instruction, perhaps maybe better than teaching is a higher guidance services that you offer. <laughs> uh, teaching is such a, such a boring services. word. Yeah. Exactly. 
Right. Well, but you know, like a lot of the old things, you know, I, I teach, I, 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 uh, you know, I tell stories. I, I, I actually, my job is to hold up a mirror. Mm. I hold up a mirror and let people see what they see. And uh, sometimes they ask me for my opinion on what, uh, what they see. Cause obviously they're looking in a mirror and they see something in reverse from, from what everybody else sees. So, you know, I, I, like a lot of folks, I have I have a, a you know a background in uh, you know certain religious traditions, and uh, matter of fact, I'm even uh, if you go back far enough, I'm even uh, uh, ordained in some of those traditions. Hmm. That's surprising. Uh, Zen Buddha, Soto Zen Buddhism, uh, particularly, and uh, I uh, a lot of people find it hard to believe, but uh, I. Uh, I'm, uh, at one in a, in another life, I was an ordained Eastern Catholic priest. <laughs> wow! Wait, in, in this in this life or another life, another life? Well, it, it, in in this incarnation, but another life. I see, in a, so, a, a prior version. Yeah, prior a, a prior iteration of Billy Red Horse. Oh wow! But uh, once I uh, you know, there are just so many things that that didn't set well with me. I I didn't do you know I I, I don't like. Even though I, some people would think I like rules, there are some rules I just do not like because they'd have no basis in nature. Mm-hmm. We're just uh, set up to uh, promulgate and uh, perpetuate uh, institutions. And I don't, there's certain institutions that I rail against. Mm. Uh, but when, you know, uh, over years and years and years of trying to grow and to, uh, first discover who I was and realizing I didn't want to discover who I was because I might not like what I find. And then moving to wanting to create who I wanted to be. I, uh, encountered a tradition, uh, that's, it's not native to North America, but it's the, the Americas in general called the flower soldier tradition. Hmm. And I met it is in that tradition that I met my adoptive, uh, grandfather, white wolf. Hmm. And uh, he's the one that gave me the name Red Horse, and uh, he saw something in me that I kind of latently knew was uh, there, but he was able to pull it out and uh, whip it into shape. We'll say yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and uh, so it's you know I don't uh, you know I, I I just I just. You know, the gentleman mystic is who I am. It's not a, uh, it's it's not some selling point. It's not mm-hmm. some prefabricated. Now it is fabricated because I built it brick by brick, and that was with intention. Because mm-hmm. as I alluded to earlier, you know, there's a whole uh, scene that a lot of the spiritual folks, you know, I want to I want to discover myself. I want to find out who I am. Well, I knew pretty much who I was, and I didn't like what was there. Mm-hmm. So rather than and go with that. I wanted to, I wanted to make something that would make me happy. And that I thought was, was worth, uh, drawing breath and worth, uh, you know, having another, uh, another sunrise and another sunset. So, but I, I just talk, I just talk to, uh, you know, my, I, I speak to people about gentlemanly things. So also obviously, I guess most of my audience and y'all can't see, but I'm doing the air quotes now, <laughs> uh, is, is, you know, males and that's fine, but it's just, you know, I just, I, I want people to recognize that 
you don't have to accept what you've been given. And some of the most taboo subjects are things that we've been given that we're not supposed to question. Mm. And, you know, I, I may be wrong. I may be completely wrong. I don't know. You know, I've, it, it's, I've, I've, I've been on the mother earth for, like I said, almost 60 years. I have made more mistakes than I care to uh, admit to. Matter of fact, you know, people come to me sometimes looking for my insight as to what to do, what to do, what to do. And all I can tell you, I ain't got a clue what you, what you should do, but I can <laughs> definitely tell you what not to do. <laughs> sometimes that helps all the, all that people need. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I could have benefited from, a, from some of that a whole lot, uh, earlier in my life, but I just, I just, I want people to recognize, and, and this is what I teach that uh, this life is not about suffering. Mm-hmm. It's not about misery. It's not about, um, blind acceptance to what we're given. There's so much more. And if we, and and it's not that it's not like it's on another continent. All we have to do is just get our own space in order, get our own environment, internal and external in order, and then just start enjoying. Mm -hmm. And it's a shame that so many people, if, if they do that, they don't start doing it until they've retired from a career and, you know, got grandkids or whatever. And there's just, there's so much magic to be had. And if we started experiencing it earlier, I think a lot of the problems that we're all dealing with on a day in day out basis right now would be lesser in number. (laughs) I agree. I fully agree because it all begins with the individual. Well, this, this is parallel to my story because I also went through a phase of my life where I engaged in a we'll say a self recreation process where I recognized I can't get there from here. And uh, the road Mm -hmm. to get there began with going inwards. And I'm very fortunate to have a lot of young men listeners that are sort of spontaneously waking up to the realization, not through a viral video or a book, but they're waking up just something's wrong in the world of men. And they, Mm -hmm. and, and men are getting younger and younger and figuring this out. In fact, I have listeners who are 17, 18 years old, which I think is remarkable. And I was wondering if you could share a bit more about that moment in time where you, in your life, that inflection point where you went from being perhaps who you were onto the road of becoming who you wanted to be and the man that you are now to sort of lay out the road. Like this is what it might look like for some of the men who of any age, really, who are looking at that point and saying, I, gosh, I got no idea what to do or where to go. How do I begin to engage in this process? Because as you say, you seek to embody a series of qualities or a set of qualities that when a man sees them, they say, he says, I want that, but he may not know Mm. how to get them, but you and I have some sense of how to get them. Certainly you have quite a bit more experience than me in in acquiring them and cultivating them. And so I wonder if you could share your experience with those men in in whatever terms you feel comfortable. Well, the, this is going to be, very discouraging and it's not meant to be, but it's just the statement of fact. Mm. Um, I, if you wanted to, as you use the term inflection point, it was probably in my early thirties that I began to, to recognize that I'm on, I'm, my life is taking a direction that I'm not happy with. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've never been a drug user, never been a criminal, you know, never done, uh, 
I would like to think I've always been to some degree very respectful and kind to you know my uh, fellow human beings. But like anybody else, I've been a friggin' jerk. I've been an asshole. I've been someone that thought was thought he was witty, mm. and in fact, he was just being a dick. Mm. And to I, I I've alluded to this before that I I I was blessed and cursed with a very high IQ and an ability to um, whatever I set my mind to, I, I could, I could do it mm-hmm. and with, with very little effort, do it well. The, that's the blessing. The curse part comes is that even with a, 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 a gift, you know, again, with air quotes, mm-hmm. um, there comes a point where you have to, there has to be work equal to the, to the gift. Amen. And I just, I just, I, I, I kind of felt like, well, it should just, because it comes to me so easy, it should just be, you know, going out easy. And time and time again, uh, people that were, uh, skill set wise or, uh, whatever beneath me one day I'd wake up and they're light years ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And part of that awareness was, okay, I, I just, uh, something's wrong here. I've got to, and uh, yeah, I'll digress here. Pretty much the problems you had as a teenager, those are the kind of, those are the nature of the problems you will have until the day you, you return to the great round. I don't care if you if you cross over the Rainbow Bridge in your 30s, your 70s, or your 100 plus. Whatever has vexed you from t- from your childhood and from your teenage years, in some form, will always vex you. Now, that's not to say, hopefully, that you're not making the, that you're making the same mistakes. But what happens is we tend to we t- we tend to have those problems just at a more advanced. Uh, state, mm-hmm. you know, or as I call it, a higher spin. Mm-hmm. And th- to this day, I'm still dealing with the same things. You know, th- this stuff comes easy to me, but I'm not, I'm not working like I should. I'm not putting in the effort, you know? Yeah, certainly I go into the gym. Certainly I, you know, generally I eat well, you know, certainly I'm, I'm much more respectful and a whole lot less of a dick when I interact with people. But the, the, the those tendencies, those trajectories are always present. And I even in the most advanced people I've known, and I have I have been blessed to study with uh, humans that I would absolutely say are are, are uh, masters. Mm-hmm. And even them, i've 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 seen them with warts and all, and it never goes away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I'll experience, and I think I, I may have said this when I spoke with uh, Mr. Ravoy here the other day, is that we're all making this up as we go. Mm-hmm. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how, uh, how many letters you have after your name, how many degrees you have. Um, even the most uh, advanced among us, we're all just, we're doing the best we can at any given moment. So that's one important thing to, it, it's not an excuse and it's not a, uh, a, a, um, 
get out of jail free card. It's just an acknowledgement. Okay. I don't have to be a perfect being right now, but what do I do from, from this point forward? So for, you know, to, to speak to your question, um, we, the sooner that you're able to start correcting your, the errors of your youth, (laughs) (laughs) the better. Yeah, I, I really didn't, you would not, to recognize who I am now, you probably, you would have to go back, you know, well, let let me put it this way. The the gentleman mystic would show up in a recognizable form about seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was by, you know, my direct intention and my direct creation. And a lot of that too was still the same thing. I was having to undo stuff because I was basically a, uh, even though I didn't want to be, I was a, a, a young version of my grandpa of, mm. of White Wolf. I was, I, my voice sounded like him. My inflections when I taught, when I talked or when I spoke sounded like him. Uh, my sometimes rash, um, correction of people that were doing something that I thought was stupid. It was very uh, uh, consistent with how he, to this day, still interacts. And I had to, I had to come to a point where I, I had to make the decision. Do I want to be a carbon copy of him or is there something out there greater that I'm willing to fill, but yet still create my own you know, who am I? Who do I want to be? And we, we're so afraid to fail. You know, we're, it, it's taught out of us. It is energetically beaten out of us. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to fail. We're not supposed to make mistakes. That's part of the, you know, it's evidenced by all this silly, just absurd cancel culture mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're experiencing. You know, you, you say one, stu- oh, I am so glad that social media and cell phone cameras did not exist when I was 18 years old. Oh my goodness. That's right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's, there is no one size fits all approach to this, but a willingness to look in the mirror, a willingness to have someone that may be a lot older than you, say something to you and point something out and immediately don't dismiss, Oh man, you, you know what the hell you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, and, and now I'm not speaking of the typical as we grow, it, it is natural for us to want to rebel against authority. It's natural for us to want to, to say, we know all things. And, and, you know, you, you just don't understand the older folks. But as you probably experienced yourself being a young man in your early 40s, it's amazing how some of those really dumb people that were older than you, the older they get, they tend to get a little smarter. And and just it's amazing how that happens. It's pretty amazing acquiring experience that way, what it does. Yes. Well, you it's great because you you mentioned this on your blog uh, and in in your article about uh, about elders. And this is a subject that I'm particularly uh, passionate about in a certain way, because I think one of the challenges with modern culture with regard to masculinity is that it's very heavily youth focused, right? So it's about young and fit and ripped and all those things. And those things are great. But I think in that, 
there's a there's a lack of appreciation and perhaps even a direct attack on the full life cycle of the male. So, you know, a lot of jokes about dad jokes and dad bods and stuff sort of making fun of like middle-aged men, which is the age when men raise children and build a career and begin crafting a legacy. But because there's this this uh, mockery essentially made of middle-aged men and to be fair many of them mock themselves so we're not going to completely you know abdicate their responsibility for what's going on but there there's this sort of perceptual fog that attends what does it actually look like to become an older man what are you actually able to communicate to the generations prior and so i'm passionate about the notion of elderhood because that's what allows the young men to connect with who they might be in the future and see, I have a whole big long life that I get to explore the many seasons to go through and I shouldn't be afraid of it. I should embrace it. And you actually in your blog came, uh, mentioned the, the subject of, I think it's youth versus youthfulness about plastic mm. surgery and, and Botox and you know all that stuff versus this feeling of youthfulness where when you look into the eyes of a, a man who's lived a rich and full life and is in 60s, 70s, or 80s, where there's a, a spark in his eyes like that you know that sort of quality i wonder if you could speak to that because that's something that i think every man should not only be hoping for but working for in his own life how can i continue to be youthful well into even 80s or 90s we should be so blessed to live so long well the the problem is that we have so few examples most of us in the west uh of of delighted and delightful elders. Mm. Yeah, there are an awful lot of old people out <laughs> that there. Is, that is true. But there are so few, so few elders. And this is something that I and uh, my brother, Chief Chuck, uh, you know, we've kind of taken it as our 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 shared mission to to return. Uh, and this is going to sound grandiose, but a a certain grandeur to to being an elder and aging mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't that long ago that folks that had lived the longest and you know were still part of the community even if they weren't all that bright even if they weren't um rich or um you know highly thought of for their skills in some occupation Kids still wanted to go and hang out with them mm-hmm. because they were fun. They had, they could tell stories. They could shine light onto to things that we didn't even know were dark and that needed a little bit of light. And you know, part of the the very fact that the shiny, the new, the smooth is so highly valued in our very disposable culture. It is that in and of itself is you know, a huge um, part of the problem. Um, you know, I, you know, I commented earlier that you, I, I would have thought you were about 30 you know, you. based on, on the, uh, you know, the photos I've seen of you and, you know, the, your, your, your visage. And uh, up until, about 15 years ago, I looked probably 20 years younger than, than my age at any given time. Mm-hmm. But now I've got these things here, and I don't call them wrinkles. Mm-hmm. These are experience divots that I have in my chin. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but I, and, and 
you know, it's it's part and parcel of my persona that I've always been kind of flamboyant. And again, you know, I mentioned I was a, a I played, you know, I was a, I was a musician for many years. So the the way I presented myself was very important to me. Now, when the gray hair started coming in, oddly enough, I did not go out and color it. I I have always admired silver hair mm-hmm. because I have, and no one's ever taught me this. I've I've just uh, intuited it. Extinct, uh, instinctively, I feel like every gray hair a person has, they've earned it. Mm-hmm. And so I have, uh, I have embraced my gray and I look forward to the day that my gray turns white. Mm-hmm. And to be able to, to be comfortable with that is something that so many people in my age group and, you know, five and 10 years older can't do. You know, they, they are the ones that they want to remain young. Mm-hmm. They go out and get the plastic surgery. The guys divorce their wife of, you know, 40 years and go out and find a little hottie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't blame any, you know, I, I don't begrudge any guy, you know, trading up if that is the appropriate thing. But you mm-hmm. don't just throw away um, a lifetime for a, 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 a fancy Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, I, I go, I'm, I'm stronger now than I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, right, right at 180 pounds now. I'm not, I'm not as svelte as I would like to be, but I can go in the gym and without even much of a warm up, I can pick over 300 pounds up off the floor. And you know, on a good day, I can deadlift over 400. That's awesome. Okay. And I've got videos to prove it. <laughs> so that's not just, <laughs> I'll link to your that's Twitter account. Just, uh, yeah, it's on Twitter. And uh, but that, that's that's not me trying to be to 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 uh, cling to my youth. Hell, the young Billy Red Horse would have have been stunned if at twenty five he thought he could pick up three hundred and fifteen pounds mm-hmm. or four hundred five. So for me to be able to do it at this age is it's a, it, 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 no one is more surprised than I am. Um, but I'm not trying to to cling to something. I'm I'm recognizing the possibility and the potential that Mother Life has given me, and the the elders that we have encountered, all of us, in their own way, they have to one degree or another through, you know, multiple different vectors, they have, they have some innate experience or knowledge of that, um, appreciation for life of the recognition that, uh, just, just because you're young doesn't mean you're, well, the only way to say it is say it better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know my limitations. I, I even tweeted sometime last week something to the effect of, I'm an old man. Uh, I can't help you build anymore. But what I can do is to help you plan. Plan. I can, I can, I, I can give you um, better ways of building that, that would go far beyond my mere labor, you know, the labor of my back. And... If this is kind of a 
a catch 22. We, we need more elders to start acting like elders and, you know, they can be a, a, an inspiration and a, a, a lighthouse for this. But so many have never, you know, of, of, of my generation, they, they seem to forget those old elders, those uh, light, uh, you know, lighthouses. And they're too busy trying to, to uh, avoid the natural order of things. They're too busy uh, being afraid of death. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I've, uh, for the longest time in my youth, I mean, I was aware of my mortality when I was six years old. I can remember sitting on a swing set, swinging back and forth, back and forth, realizing I'm going to die one day. Mm. Wow. And it, you know, it, it wasn't that someone close to me had passed. It wasn't that a, a pet had died. This just, I mean, this sprang up spontaneously. You know, some would say that it's a, you know, a, a memory of you know, past life. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. It's just what it did to me then. And to, you know, I, I spent so much of my early life uh, being afraid of death that I didn't live. Mm-hmm. I didn't live. Mm-hmm. And so now that I don't have quite the capacity that I had as a, as a, you know, 20 or 25 year old or even a 30 year old. Uh, but I'm, you know, I don't get me wrong. I am not by any stretch of the imagination ready to, to check out. I'm not ready to leave. I love living. I love my life. I love this world. And I want to, when, when that, that final breath is drawn, I want to be a used up shell of a man. Mm-hmm. And hopefully between that last breath and now, you know, maybe I can be something of an, an elder and a, uh, uh, an, an exemplar as Chuck likes to say. Um, and the, the sad thing is that, uh, most of those in my generation are not up to the task. And unfortunately, a lot of the younger bucks are going to have to step up sooner rather than later. And that's because my generation let them down. Mm. And you know, I, don't, I don't take on responsibility for an entire generation, and I don't feel that it's my job to save the world. Um, but again, back to my point of I don't know what it is you got. I just know that I want it. Excuse me. Um, I do what I can each and every day, and most days I come up way short. Mm-hmm. And the one of the best things that a young man or young lady can put into their uh, space is to learn to be comfortable with the concept of paradox mm-hmm. and recognizing that. Things do not, they're, they're not always going to match. They're not always going to harmonize. And okay, just be okay with that. Yeah. Well, I would like to, uh, oh, again, again, my mind is exploding with directions to take this. Take this. I love it. This is the, this is the, this is like, this is a joy for me as a podcast host when, when there's so many different directions to drive to drive the bus of conversation. So, you know, that's the, that's the paradox of choice. Like I, I feel it's a cornucopia. So thank you so much. And, and I would like to, uh, cause I could jump off a of paradox or I could, but I, I think it's more important for, for my vision of, of what I'm trying to create in masculinity to, 
I want to throw in my two cents for your status as an, as, an, as an elder, because I think this is so important. I think it's so deeply important that men begin to rediscover what it means of any age to look up to a man and, and revere him as an elder, as a man who has, say, metabolized the most experience, either consciously through, uh, through meditation, study, prayer, however you choose to move through your life, or versus you know, simply attaining a high, uh, a high age. Like, hey, look, I've lived a long time and I've seen a lot of stuff and some things never change. But I think you you make a unique case for it because I've read your blog and I've absorbed it and I, and I have a good sense of your perspective. I want to read a particular quote that I think a lot of men will resonate with. An admirable goal of a transcendent humanity is to seek to continually refine and positively develop the self and consequently the community while cleaving to the traditions and conventions which have been time-tested and shown demonstrably effectual. A forward-looking optimism should never go out of style. And I think that's real wisdom right there. Thank you. you know, the what is missing? Uh, uh, you know, another piece that I wrote a while back is uh, I, I think it. I think the title of it was an apology for the old ways. Mm-hmm. I saw that too. And um, there is a. You know, I, I think I even started that piece off with you know the the, the phrase the good old days has set eyes rolling and, and <laughs> tongues wagging for, for decades. And man, let me tell you, I was one of those. And, but like anything, when you, when you have the opportunity to go out and fail and make your own mistakes and then to say, well, you know, it sucks for me to have to admit this, but that old man or that old woman may have had a point about, X, you know, fill in the blank, that whatever it is. And, you know, I've, you know, I was born in 1961. And I, so you, depending on how you look at it, I'm a child of the 60s, I'm a child of the 70s, or even to one degree or another, you know, my early 20s, I was a child of the 80s. So I, I saw, I, I, I saw quite a bit of, uh, a spectrum of, change and upheaval and uh but i was also blessed enough to have access to certain um people that they were born in the late 1800s wow wow that's awesome so so i you know and and now don't get me wrong it's not like i said at the uh the the foot of a an 80 or 90 year old uh, man or woman for, you know, days and weeks and months on end. But there were instances where, you know, people that were born before the Wright brothers went to Kitty Hawk and flew. Mm-hmm. And then there's, they're living now. And then at this point it would have been in the mid sixties, you know, late sixties and they're watching rocket ships, you know, leave Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've seen a lot yeah. and they're able to, to, give perspectives that certainly I'll never experience in my own life. <clears throat> you know, I guess maybe I'm, I'm uh, creating my own stories, you know, of, you know, similar impact, but just completely different scenarios. But to, to know that, okay, th- th- I recognize that's an elder. That's not just an old man or an old woman. That's someone that, has lived, has gone through some shit, um, come out on the other side and, you know, yeah, they're not 
they're not rich they're not even pretty they're not but there there's there is an an obvious the only word i can think of is satisfaction with the way that their life was and then what it became and you know they tell the stories they you know i i very much in in keeping with what i was talking about about creating who red horse is who the gentleman mystic is i i would love to be able to pick and choose and create my environment completely and then the people that i dealt with you know a little Cary grant a little bit of 1950s uh monaco you know the south you know the, the, the french riviera a little bit of you know danger and james bond and 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 certainly i i encourage people to to look to the past and find what it is that speaks to them mm-hmm. whether it's uh stylistic or um philosophical or or spiritual or whatever mm-hmm. and you know build the world that you want and so many people are so scared that they're terrified what if I build the wrong world? It's hard to do worse than we've currently done. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and you know, it's not like you're trying to build a city. Like I said earlier, I, 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 I don't feel that my job is to apologize for a generation or to save the world. Mm. It's absurd. But I recognize that, that nobody, either I build what I want or I, I have no reason to grouse and complain because I accept what I get. Amen. And, you know, everybody from 17 years old to 77 and way beyond that holds true. So to your, to your younger audience, um, the quicker you can make your mistakes and the quicker you can recognize that you have made mistakes, acknowledge that you have made mistakes, and then begin to course correct early. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I mentioned that uh, I've, I've only had a handful of students that have stuck with me long enough to become what I would refer to as a black belt in their, in their training. Um, you... Until you get to the play, well, I'm thinking of, actually, I only have one right now. Mm. And uh, this is a young man that I've, uh, we've, we've been working together for almost 10 years. And he has learned to, he's patient. He is absolutely patient. And um, the fact that he has demonstrated that patience has shown me, he is at, I, I, I think he is, like I can never remember, and I should know, 33, 34-ish. Oh, wow. Um, but if I, could, if I could have been at that age where he is now, oh, man, I would be a machine now. <laughs> I would yeah. be a machine. Yeah. And he's, when, when he gets to be my age, oh, it, he is going to be, he's going to be a delight. Because he's already a delight. He's a good family man. He's got, yeah, he's got, uh, Two kids that uh, you know are his own. He's in, he's adopted several. He's just, I mean, he's he inspires me every time we 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 get the chance to get together to talk. So, you know, long long winded response is just 
I identify early on and course correct at the earliest opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Long-winded responses and picked bones are completely welcome in this conversation. So by all means, I mean, this is a, this is a place where I enjoy having real honest conversations about, about life. And because I think that's where the real meat of existence is between two people is the ability to speak openly and honestly about, you know, things in our life that are most meaningful to us. And, you know, one of the ills of cancel culture is that we're not free to do that, particularly because the rules are constantly changing. Like if it was one set of rules for cancel culture, the culture that you could just put on the wall and say, okay, we won't do that. Fine. But every day it seems like there's a new set of rules of what you can and can't say and what you can and can't discuss. And I talked to Jack Donovan about that and that chaos is actually a feature of the a feature of the age. But, but before we jump off into that, I want to actually address uh, this this gentleman that you're that you're uh, this junior gentleman mystic or, or gentleman junior mystic or whichever one, one of those two. You know, because I think that the twenties is such a is is probably I don't know. I would probably regard the twenties as a middle age in its own way, because you're no longer in the care of your father. Like you were when you're a teenager, or perhaps when you go to university, you're still sort of under some fatherly protection. I mean, maybe if you're paying for your own way, but there's still some sort of youth, like in terms of, in terms of uh, lack of exposure to the real world. And then you go out into the world, quote unquote, the real world. And then there's the twenties and it's like, you're no longer under the protection of your father and you're just kind of left on your own to begin to navigate the world. And it seems like that's a time when certainly I did where I just kind of fell way off. I had no idea what I was doing and I had no, I had no men and there were certain things going on in my family as well, but I had no men to really help orient me. Like how do I take my gifts and myself and and all my rough edges and to begin to refine the rough edges and cultivate my gifts in the direction I want to go. And I fishtailed for five years and it was just an extraordinarily painful process. And so you, you talk about this, that I'm probably still paying. Well, I think I probably paid off most of the consequences of that, fortunately. But you're talking about this gentleman that you've helped through his from age roughly 23 to 33, and how what a powerful gift that is during a time when maybe he wouldn't have known what to do, but he's been able to draw on your wisdom, which you've been cultivating at the same time. And there's something that really great about this intergeneral, inter, intergenerational connection that you two are sharing. I wonder if you could speak more about your relationship in that way, because I think it's important. I will say. I, I, I think that false humility is as offensive as braggadocio. <laughs> so I am gross. not, I am not, I'm not putting on my uh, humble brag here. Mm-hmm. I'm not being humble. Mm-hmm. It is due completely to him. He wow. has been the, the, the change that that young man made from the day that I laid eyes on him until this moment is yeah obviously i had i had influence i had uh, you know impact i was able to chap his ass when it needed chapping i was able to congratulate him when it needed congratulating but um he's, it's probably the point that he thinks i'm i'm kissing his butt these days that it, it, almost every time we end a conversation i tell him how proud i am of him and how how much i am in uh, admiration to the fact that he has done the work. He has stayed the course. And I've even said, if you told me right now, Grandpa, uh, that's our relationship. I'm, mm. I adopted him the same way that uh, White Wolf adopted me. Uh, I, I said, if, if you were to tell me, Grandpa, I'm, 
I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I think I'm ready to to do move on to a different phase of my life. I would feel mm-hmm. sad. I would feel uh, brokenhearted, but I would also completely feel that uh, my work was done. Mm-hmm. He, he, uh, you know, the, the job of any teacher, I don't care what their discipline is, should be to um, have students that surpass them. Now, I don't know that uh, Lodge is ready to surpass me. Matter of fact, I know he's not. <laughs> but to the, what he has done is just, it is nothing short of phenomenal. And that is due to him. And I, I am blessed to have had, okay, you're, you're lucky if you get one student like that in a lifetime. So, mm-hmm. you know, anything beyond this is going to be gravy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I can't, I, I cannot, I, I cannot take credit for the work that he did. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know that that's the answer you were looking for. No. But he, well, I mean, I would say that's, that's the true answer, which is the answer that I was looking for. I wonder if you can relate because I, I know that there are a lot of men who are probably looking at similar stages of their life and are hearing are hearing what you're what you're giving in terms of course correction and things like that. And it's like, okay, where do I begin? Where do I begin? And I wonder if you can if you if you feel at liberty to relate, even changing some details maybe to protect his his anonymity or to whatever extent you feel comfortable sharing, if you can relate a story where perhaps he course corrected or where you course corrected so that men can get so that men can uh, as uh, as Dr. Sean T. Smith says, get it on the get it on the field or operationalize it for me, as he as he says. I wonder if you can. Mm-hmm. There were you know the the it was probably over a twelve month period. Um, the first place that he and I met was at a Zen center, where I had been invited to come and and uh, lead a weekend uh, retreat. And this was. Like I said, it wasn't quite 10 years ago. It might have been eight or nine. Um, and this was a traditional Zen center. And I have a traditional background in Soto's. I'm, and uh, for several years, I was a staff teacher at the Atlanta Soto Zen Center here in Georgia. Uh, but I had, like many things, I kind of bowed up against the this, uh, the way things were supposed to be done and wanted to do things my way. <laughs> right. And, uh, but, uh, I was invited to just be, and this was a, a, a Zen center in Nebraska. And I knew the, the senior teacher there. We had known each other for about, I guess, 10 or 11 years. And he invited me out and it was, I, I told him, I said, okay, this is going to be Zen, but it's my flavor of Zen, <laughs> which was very much, uh, you know, uh, impacted and influenced by my, uh, uh, earth teachings, the flower soldier teachings. And, um, there was this one kid and he, he looked like a typical stoner, uh, computer geek. And I've said this in front of him many times. So I'm not I'm not shaming him. I'm not saying he saying anything that he has not heard me say before. Literally a snot nosed kid, a mm. kid that had dried snot under his nose because mm, he was so oblivious. He wow. was not aware of it. Wow. And, but there was oddly, there was some kind of connection. And we, before I, I was, I was in Nebraska for three days and before we left, he and I started talking a little bit and he 
immediately was drawn to me and started, I, I don't even remember the, the, the content of the conversation, but the essence of it was, uh, you know, uh, can you teach me something? <laughs> and, or I, well, and so I, I gave him a task or two or three. And quite frankly, it was a, uh, not so much to, for him to do the tasks and benefit from them, but just for me to see if he was serious. Mm-hmm. Well, I gave him the tasks. I think we may have exchanged emails a couple of times. A year passes. I go back. I'm invited back. He was no longer a snot-nosed kid. Um, there was a very definite shift in the energy that this young man put out. Okay, we may have something here that, that needs further looking. And so we, after the, the end of the third day, uh, we're talking again. And he surprised me because he, he asked me, what, what, did, what have you done? Meaning me, what have you done? You, you're very, very different this year than you were last. Mm-hmm. Well, the year before was my last year of being a clone of my grandfather. Oh, wow. And so over the, the course of that year, I'm working to, you know, the, the, the gentleman mystic is being born. Mm-hmm. So he looked at me, he said, you're, you're, you're very, very different. I said, you know, you, you still have the same intensity. You still have the same energy but it's very, very different. And I looked at him, I said, well, is that a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) And he says, yes, that's a good thing. That's awesome. I I like this version better. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even the, you know, the point of the story is that, you know, even the, the guy that's old enough to be his dad plus can make changes and make course corrections Mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the only way that um, these things are going to work for someone is you have to be, well, the, here's a good teaching right here. It is very, very rare that you will ever hear in our tradition the words, you must, you should, there is only. So when you do hear those, you better pay attention. Mm-hmm. And one of the statements and and sayings that we use is that the only way to self-growth is through um, self-criticism. Now, not criticism as in you're criticizing yourself, but as being willing to to look in the mirror of self-reflection and, okay, this is not who I want to be. This is a, you know, this component is not, I, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I act. I don't like whatever it is, or if it's all of those things. And then having, you know, the, the, the only way is self-honesty. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the um, mother life has, mother life is everything. Mother life has everything except for one thing. There is only one thing that humans can give other life that you didn't have, and that is our self-honesty. Oh wow! And I'm gonna think. I'm gonna have to think on that while you, while you continue articulating while I'm turning <laughs> this over. No, because it's a fascinating idea. That's not what I would have said, like love or something like that. But, but this is even better. So continue. Ah, mom's got you know, mother. Life's got all the love she can stand. She is love. Mm-hmm. You know, she so true. The self-honesty and mm-hmm. and and. The sooner that a young man can begin to be self-honest, hmm. 
the sooner that growth can begin. And you can't, the mistake that so many people make is that they, they look at the, um, the path, whatever it is, the, the, the road to growth as a, an additive path. And it is not, it is subtractive. You have to, you have to get rid of all of the crap that is causing pain and, 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 and discomfort and madness. Mm. And it's obvious that a lot of our brothers and sisters these days, they ain't very subtractive. They just keep piling shit on top of shit on top of shit and wonder why they haven't been piling shit. Well said. It's uh, I, people listening can't see it right now, but the the smile on my face is from is from <laughs> ear to ear. You can see it. This is I'm overjoyed to hear you saying these things. This is like this is like manna from heaven for me to 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 hear a man articulating these things. So thank you, thank you very much because it's it's so true. This notion of you know, I haven't, I've changed over the course of, of my life, but really I've become more myself. And that process has been entirely due to getting rid of the things inside myself that maybe I inherited or that came genetically or that were imposed upon me in childhood or upbringing or my environment or bullies in school or whatever, like all the stuff that was kind of put into me. And I, the process that I can say that I've been through is taking all of that out to reveal what's left of me and how good that feels. And it shows up like even, even in terms of like losing weight, like getting in shape, like I did last year, that was probably the most powerful, you know, I don't want to say final because I still have much further to go, but that was the most powerful, I'd say capstone realization of how important it is to get things out of ourselves that don't serve in order to see what's truly essential about who we are. And that's a beautiful thing completely that stands in contrast to what our culture and society would say is you need to buy more, you need to acquire more, 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 more rules, more restrictions. Like, no, no, less is the answer. And it's so counterintuitive. Well, I don't know. Less, yes, but also more of what speaks to you. You know, the, yes, true. When, 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 when things move more towards the, uh, the more, uh, physical aspect of who the gentleman mystic is. And, you know, then I start talking about, uh, $700 or $800 shoes and, you know, Brooks brothers clothes and, and, you know, watches and, and things you know, a lot of people immediately, they veer into the, Oh, you're just another hedonist. You're just another one of these guys that's, that's all about, um, you know, physical and then, you know, uh, trinkets. Well, you know, the thing of it is I've, I've worn Walmart chinos that I paid $8 for mm. and, and worn them until they're threadbare. And there's something to be said for having a, whatever it is, whether it's a pair of Crockett and Jones boots, you know, Lucchese boots or, you know, a nice watch and taking care of it and mm. wanting to take care of it because you recognize that number one, if you take care of it, it will last you a whole lot longer, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And being quite okay that if, if it all is gone tomorrow, you're fine. You're mm-hmm. fine. And to, uh, you know, well, it, what about the hedonic treadmill? You know, the, whenever you get something at some point, it, it, it has no, uh, it, it doesn't have the same meaning anymore. And you have to go, if one is good, you need three more. And it, no. Mm-hmm. The only 
person that that is subject to the hedonic a- adaptation to me is someone that has no sense of measure or appreciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can, I don't, you know, there the, the trees that I mentioned out to, outside my window. Uh, yeah, I, I said it was a, a little forest, and it is, but I don't need to have thirty forests because I've worn out this forest. <laughs> I can go and sit. I can go and sit next to that one tree for hours and hours and days and days and weeks and weeks and months and years. And I don't, to have an understanding of the difference between something that is a uh, commodity that is made with no feeling and no concern other than, uh, the profit motive. And don't get me wrong, I am absolutely a capitalist. I think capitalism is fantastic. But I much prefer to spend what some people would view as absurd amounts for the things that I get, because the things that I get, I know their history. I know the history of the company that creates them. Crockett and Jones, for instance, yeah, and I'll mention since I mentioned them, I'll go back to them. Is a uh, a, a British shoe company that has been around for I think over a hundred. Well, I know for well over a hundred years. They're still using the same machinery now that they used a hundred years ago to build the boots that I wear. Mm-hmm. And it takes six weeks for them to make a pair of boots. Wow! And they're handmade. And you know, and this is not even something that's bespoke. It's not not specifically made for me. Um, but I recognize what the the first time I took the plunge and took the chance and and spent that kind of money on a pair of boots and I put them on. It was it was. You want to talk about a red pill moment? Yeah. I ain't going. I'm not buying my boots at Walmart anymore, pal. Mm-hmm. And to be able to to appreciate the 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 gifts of other people caring enough to make a, 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 a an object that has a bit of their own soul in it mm. and their their own energy and you know maybe I'm just completely justifying the amount of money I've spent on something I, I, I won't deny that you know it but to me I can tell a difference I can Find what you. I, I, I say often that it's it is an important step in someone's growth when you not only know what what it is that you like, whatever it is, whether it's a yeah, what, what it, whether it's what you look for in a, a mate or uh, a, a pet or a car or a job, whatever. It's not only knowing what you like; it's understanding why you like it to take that even one step farther to understand what it is that you value mm. and that, that this thing or this relationship or this expression, what it, what is the value you find in it and, and that it, it, you know, what it is that it gives to you or, or brings out in you or exp, uh, shares to you or, sh- or shows you about yourself. Mm. So, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't want, a world of people that everybody's wearing the kind of clothes I wear or even acting the way I want to act that, that, that I act. Mm. But there, 
they're doing it consciously and not inherited. You know, you were talking about the, um, you know, the, the people in your life when you were young and the institutions, you know, uh, we, we speak of in terms of the image makers, mm-hmm. you know, image makers, uh, you know, our first one, the first image makers are our mo- most immediate. Those are our parents or whoever, uh, uh, rear us as, as children. Then our, it's our, if we have siblings, it's siblings and then neighbors and, you know, and, and it expands out from there. And I don't for a minute think that those image makers try to impose uh, ill will on us. Matter of fact, I think that it, for the most part, anything they do, they think they're doing it from a place of love and, and, and good intentions. Mm-hmm. But it, that ain't always the way that it ends up manifesting. Right. That is a case of we have to uh, first forgive ourselves mm-hmm. and then be able to forgive those image makers that may or may not have uh, treated us the way or, or done for us what we would like to have done. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. of We're all just making this up as we go. Mm-hmm. And when when you can accept that, it it makes it, it, it may not take away, you know, pains, but it at least gives you perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a start. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my podcast with Billy Redhorse. Men, if you've been part of men's personal development for any length of time, you'll know the vital importance we place on fitness. One of the key turning points of my life that led directly to the renaissance of men was me losing 40 pounds during lockdown and transforming my physique. I was motivated enough to do it on my own, but looking back, I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support in creating my own physical rebirth. Enter Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, we've assembled a special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for my listeners. Derek and I work together to merge our values. I unapologetically promote a man's need to embrace his masculinity, and Derek celebrates men's desire for physical prowess. To bring this about, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program with some pretty amazing features. You kick off the program with a 30-minute consultation with Derek where he gets to know you and plots your upward trajectory. Then you get a training and nutrition plan tailored for your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation at any age or stage of life. Then you get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF ebooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Because, as I've personally discovered, true fitness goes beyond lifting heavy things and eating better food. It requires a total shift in mindset, which often requires support. And I know Derek can get you there. His brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. That's why he's the perfect partner for the renaissance of men. This program is for men who are motivated and ready to create their physical rebirth. If you ask me, there's no time to waste. So to learn more and sign up for Volition Renaissance, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. That's Volition Training. V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N training.com, volitiontraining.com slash men. This is Derek's most premium offering, which he's more than qualified to offer as a former top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. 
check out my podcast episode with him from this year titled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen and sign up now. Thanks so much. And let's get back to the podcast with Mr. Billy Redhorse, the gentleman mystic. Once again, we come to a, a conversational choose your own adventure where I'm, I have a whole bunch of different topics that I could uh, branch off on. And I, and I think um, I want to pull back for just a second and, and, and create a sense for, for the men listening that this process of, of self-discovery and really self-creation that you're talking about is something that kind of comes with time because you're talking about, you know, you have to build off of what you like, but until you have a certain amount of experience with yourself, it's actually kind of impossible to know what you really like beyond just a few things. The things that, you know, I, I know that for myself, the things that I really like, it took me a re- really long time for me to land on, is this really what I like? Or is this what I've been told to like? Am I, am I, am I aping what, you know, my family liked or what the people around me like versus like, how do I actually land in a, in a style or a, a sense of aesthetics that I, that I really enjoy? And so to sort of link this to the larger conversation about life cycles of men, and I, I just wanted to, I just want to tag onto that because I think it's important for men to understand you don't, you can't have all these answers. You can be 22 or 23, even 25, and still be discovering yourself. And it's not possible to know the answer to that question. You might, but over time with growth and maturation and experience and making those mistakes, that's how you actually discover what you actually like. And so we have this habit of throwing away, oh, I'm so old, I'm so old. And at, at every stage of life, you have 21-year-old kids like, oh, I feel so old. It's like, why? what are you talking about? Because they don't mm-hmm. have an appreciation for the adventure that life is that I think you're, you're articulating in a very broad way. Yeah, the, the, I hate the tendency to divide up uh, the arc of someone's life into segments. But one thing I can't, I can't refute it. So I, I have to grudgingly accept it is that the, the first portion of a person's life, you know, whether you want to say it's a quarter or the first third is hopefully to experiment, to try as many crazy ass things as you possibly can. And then when that segment, it naturally, it kind of has a, 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 a waning to it, then you begin to deter. You, you don't worry so much about what you like or, or what appeals to you. You need to focus more on dis, uh, identifying what you don't like mm-hmm. and what you uh, what you recognize that like yeah that no that just ain't me. That's you know goes back to the image makers, the inheritance, uh, you know, or your what your peer group does. You know, well, you know. Everybody in our group, you know, in, 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 in our class at school, you know, we all liked uh, uh, Van Halen or Aerosmith. Well, do you like Aerosmith? Do you like Van Halen? Well, if you do, that's cool. But it it has to be your liking, not that you're just trying to keep up with the cool kids. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's part of the whole you know, we, it, it is a natural expression of youth, certainly, but in, of humans, regardless of age, to, to want to be accepted and to, you know, blend in and not want to rock the boat. And that's why, you know, I, I, I always love the, the, the rebellious punk kids from, you know, my teenage years that, uh, you know, 
they're rebelling. They're not like everybody else, except they're all wearing the same black leather jackets. They're all wearing the same jeans. They're all wearing the same shoes, mm-hmm. boots, whatever. So, you know, you're, you're, you're being rebellious and independent together. Okay. That's cool. Um, but you know, to, to I, I kind of want to, while I've got the thought you were, uh, we both mentioned cancel culture during this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, incredibly dangerous. I find it incredibly disheartening and I find it, uh, the, the more and more I've given it consideration, the more and more I think uh, the best way to approach, you know, don't, don't live your life. I mean, don't be a dick, certainly. Mm. Uh, and, but don't, don't concern yourself with because there's always going to be somebody no no matter how kind and wonderful and generous and um, considerate you are there's going to be somebody that's going to have something nasty to say about you. Amen to that. So the best yeah the best way to approach this and I'm again there's there's an old saying that uh, the older you get the threat of a life sentence has less sway on you <laughs> going to jail. Yeah. So it's easier for me to say this than perhaps someone your age or, you know, even 20. But if, if someone comes for you, unless you have absolutely done something wrong that you know, you need to apologize for, never apologize. That's right. Never. And even to the point of not even acknowledging that someone has come after you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's, you know, and certainly anything like this is, is uh, circumstantial and situational. If, if, you know, job issues or whatever. Now with, with regard to social media and uh, you really, a really good uh, way of uh, interacting on social media is to make sure that like with anything before you press the send button, uh, you make sure you sit on whatever it is for a little bit. And, you know, a lot of times just typing it up and then deleting it's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the modern day version of what uh, Abraham Lincoln used to do. He'd write letters that were scalding and scathing. and But he would, uh, after he signed them, he would fold them up and put them in his desk drawer. And a day or two later, he'd pull them out and reread them. And if he thought that it still needed to be sent, he'd mail it. But nine times out of ten, mm. he would tear it up and burn it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, same logic with uh, thinking before you press the, the tweet button or the gab button or whatever. But to don't give the enemy the fuel with which they will burn you at the stake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Again, a, a tangent, but I, I felt no, one no. that needed to be said. No, this is, this is really important because this, this touches directly on what you talk about with manners is there's really no good sense of manners, unfortunately, that exists in, and certainly our day-to-day public sphere in terms of face-to-face interaction, where most people don't grow up with a sense of manners and what we might call dignity or propriety or whatever sort of words all kind of go in that sort of realm. But there's even less of that sense in social media, particularly, mm-hmm. particularly I think on Twitter, because I think I, I don't use Facebook anymore, but to me, Twitter seems like it's designed, right? It's, it's designed for the immediate gratification of the sending of the hot take and you just launch it out there. It's kind of designed to be as quick as possible to just get the, you know, zero filter from, from brain to thumbs, I guess you might say. And I think that's mm-hmm. really, that's really unfortunate. And 
I don't know that the cancel culture seeks to uh, shape that in, let's say, uh, ideologically motivated ways. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. We'll be mm-hmm. nice about it. But I, I think behind, <laughs> but behind that, I mean, we, we can jump. We could jump into that big pool if you'd like. But uh, I think behind, yeah. eh, I know it's so it's not yeah. no point. But I think that there's also something to be said for we have to shape ourselves and we have to curate our own communication just as a way of being, as we might say, mannerly. And there's something very true about that. Like how you conduct yourself in your life is not separate from how you conduct yourself in your online social life. Those are the same now. This is not this. We don't have the excuse of, Oh, this is such a novel technology. It's not novel anymore. Like, and we have Mm -hmm. to get, we have to get way better at that as look, mea culpa i have raising my hand mea culpa you know like certainly i'm i'm guilty of that but it's something that i'm working on because i recognize its importance so i just wanted to acknowledge that yeah well i've i have been well up until the last 13 months i had <laughs> i had a nice run where i had a bunch of gentlemen that either you know they were coming through atlanta or they even went out of their way to come here and to meet me. And we, it it was, you know, silliness, like uh, I mentioned earlier, Stephen story and tonight, you know, Dr. Ricks, us going and going to the gym and deadlifting. And, you know, I I had a chance to uh, share a meal with Alexander Cortez. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I know Jay Campbell met him. Uh, he was you know, just uh, he is every bit as energetic uh, in real life as what you see when he does his uh, daily podcast or uh, things. And, you know, just several, several men. And I, I feel completely confident that you, know, you can ask uh, Chuck Whitworth, you can ask Jonathan Pritchard, any of the other guys I've talked about is Billy Red Horse, the gentleman mystic the same in real life as what you see online and every one of them without a fault will say, yeah, that's who he is. It's not a, uh, it's not a, an act. It's not some, you know, like I'm some anon that acts like I've, you know, a rich man and I drive around in a, uh, you know, a 40 year old broken down VW bus. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, because it's so much easier now, again, at this age, I guess, or just from learning how not to do things to, to just, you know, be who I want to be. And I take, I take joy and, and I find great pleasure in, you know, every day being that man and, and, and uncovering more of who, who I wish him to be. And, mm-hmm. and again, man, I am not there. I ain't even close to, uh, that elder to that wise man to that um, exemplar that I want to be, mm. and I'm I'm I, and I'm just going to be crass here. I fuck up all the time. Mm. I I fuck up almost daily. Same. And the only you know the only the only person I have to answer to about that is the cat that I see when I look in the mirror every day. Mm-hmm. And you know sometimes I'm able to give him a break. Sometimes I have to bust his balls. Sometimes you say, all right, well, today was a wash. We got tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's see what happens. And everybody, every man, every young man, every, dare I say, every boy 
that's something that we is is not evidenced. Is not an example. You know, I um, I, I find it very encouraging that you know in our corner of Twitter there are several men's groups. You know, there's the uh, you know the uh, the group that. Uh, uh, oh, shoot, I, I know him as Hunter Drew. That was his. Uh, <laughs> Zach Small. Zach Small, yeah. You know, Zach, you know, his group, you've got uh, the Liminal Order, you know, and I think there are one or two other um, uh, fraternities out there. And I, I, I admire every one of them. And I, um, I, it seems like the, the longer these groups are together, they, they're finding more and more their own voice, more and more their yeah. own niche. And, uh, you know, uh, Chief Chuck and I have bandied around the idea of, you know, what, you know, the, a gray wave version of that, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you know, that that may come to be, but we're you know, it, it, with the, the, the way things are right now, with the, there's still so much upheaval with all of the you know, I, I refuse to call it a pandemic. It's right. it's panic. It, it's it's a manufactured panic. Mm-hmm. And uh there is going to be a reckoning for all of this. And uh, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. And because when you, when you start, well, I, 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 I as I'm saying this, Mr. Spencer, I guess I should probably say, uh, six months ago, I would have said one thing, but now nothing will surprise me. Yeah. And, you know, there's every possibility that, uh, a big portion of our culture is just just, just going to roll over and and take what they're given. Yeah. So what I what I have to do for myself and what I recommend for those that uh, resonate with what I'm saying is you, you just you if you want to change the world, change yourself, mm-hmm. and then look for you know look for your tribe. You know whether it's if it's one of the groups we've already mentioned or excuse me if it's um you know just you and your next door neighbor, you and your buddy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe we should get together in another six or eight months and compare notes again. <laughs> I'd really like that. I'd really like that. I mean, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and, uh, and Dr. Robert Glover, who I talked to two or three weeks ago said the same, you know, he said, it's all about tribe. And of course this is before, I think you called it on Twitter, the great madness, which I think is a wonderful word for what's going on. Mm-hmm. Cause it is indeed a, a great madness. And, and, uh, you know, we can, I, uh, we can continue following this line. And I, I think to some extent we should, because this relates directly as far as I'm concerned with what it means to be a man today is that we look around and we see chaos around us, particularly in men. You know, you look at the, the mm-hmm. state of, you state the state of modern men where, whether it be the dad bod or the wokesters or the allies or, or whatever. And it's like, that ain't it. I don't know what that is, mm-hmm. but that ain't it. And I think a lot of men are waking up to that. And it's like, you know what? I feel the call to a tribe and my tribe was uh, the Alexander Cortez inner circle. And that was a hugely, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I could like, you're like, ah, oh, the, the, the moment that you articulate with Ajax, where your guys are sitting at dinner and you did, you did a couple of things versus when he got up to go to the restroom and you put your, your fork and knife down and you waited for him to return. It was a, stun, a stunning display of, of, of the values that you espouse. Like, yes, that is, that's the manners that I, that I grew up. So I wanted to acknowledge that, but that you, you threw out this little, I don't know what the, I'm going to, you said this little maybe test. I think you used the word test where you remarked on the moon. And I wonder if you could talk about mm-hmm. Ajax's response to that. Well, we, one of the, the initial uh, attractions that 
Ajak and I had to each other uh, is a verbal uh, appreciation on Twitter, right? verbal, a written appreciation on Twitter <laughs> for, for beauty and things beautiful. Mm. And he, he did a, uh, this was before we had that dinner, uh, several weeks or months before he did a periscope and he was just in a space and it was absolutely enthralling for me. And he was, to me, it looked like he was almost in tears where he was speaking of beauty mm. and, and things beautiful. And I don't know if it was in that pot in the, uh, the periscope or it was something that he had written where he said that he was, he worshiped beauty. He worshiped at beauty. And I responded in a tweet that, well, then sir, uh, you and I are both priests in the same religion. Mm. And uh, so with that, you know, kind of as the history, it, it wasn't a test so much as what he, how he responded to what I said. We're sitting there, we're, we're eating outdoors. Uh, it was in June of, uh, yeah, I can't remember what year it was, a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. So we, uh, you know, we're, we're sitting outside eating or, you know, talking and, and, um, uh, this is actually before we, we started eating proper and we're outside and the, the moon was just it. She was, Oh, Luna was, it, it was not a full moon and you could even look at her and see just, she was slightly askew. It, it may have been about two days before the full moon, but the, the, the light and the sky, it was, it was just beautiful. And I, it's all right. Well, let's see what happens here. So I, Alexander, look at, look at how beautiful the moon is tonight. And he he turned over his right shoulder, and he just I, I expected him to go, yeah, wow, that's she's amazing. And then to turn back and, and continue our talk, he did not. Mm. He lingered. He took in the fullness of how beautiful she was, and then he didn't just take in me saying, "Isn't she beautiful?" He saw more beauty. He saw the beauty in a way that I did not because it was his, his drinking in of that beauty. Mm. So we each had our, we, we each saw the same magic, but we each experienced it differently. And when, when he finally reluctantly <laughs> turned back and we continued our conversation, it was the, uh, I, Everything I had suspected about that young man was confirmed in that moment. Mm. You know, he's, uh, he, yes, he is as energetic as you see. He is as brash as he, he uh, puts himself out. That's, but that's not, that's just like with me. That's not a show. That's Ajax. That's mm -hmm. who he is. Mm -hmm. But he absolutely, we speak the same language when it comes to beauty. And we both have a, just, I don't worship anything. I worship beauty. And that is unique to, to everyone. I realize that, you know, the, some, something that I like is, you know, especially if we're talking generational uh, shifts here, there's some things that I find beautiful that, you know, some young bucks are going to go, uh, no, daddy, -o, no. <laughs> <laughs> like what? But to, uh, yeah. Uh, probably automobiles, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you give me a, uh, 1966, uh, fastback Mustang with a boss 302 in it, uh, racing transmission, racing differential. Uh, whereas, you know, a lot of the young bucks are probably more like the Tate brothers, you know, mm-hmm. hypercars, supercars, at least, you know, Bugattis or Lamborghinis or, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, every kid I, you know, every male I knew in high school in the seventies, he had at least one poster of a Testarossa up on his wall. Oh, sure. So, you know, <laughs> but just, yeah. And you know, every, uh, that's part of the the great adventure, that great exploration. And then the great creation aspect of, uh, you know, defining who you are is finding those things that you like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and finding what does and does not work with you. I mean, you know, I, I generally tend to dress in a rather Western fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of consistent with, with you know, my whole persona. I'm looking right now at three cowboy hats hanging on the wall. And, but just because I like a cowboy hat and I'm going to pay for it, doesn't mean it's going to look good on me. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to, you have to take consideration. The hair mm-hmm. looks a certain way. The face is constru- constructed a certain way. So it's kind of like with guitars and girlfriends, you need <laughs> to put your hands on them first before you pay for them. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I made the mistake. I've had a rule for years, never buy a hat without trying it on first. And I went against my rule. I I found a great deal on a hat that I just knew that I wanted, paid the money for it, got it home, put it on. And I looked like a tool. Mm. It just, it, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. And it was a great lesson. And fortunately it was one I was able to get to get a refund on without any issue, but yeah, and, and that was not that long ago. It was like three years ago. Mm-hmm. So you know, even even at my age, I still make stupid mistakes. I, I well, if I, I'll, I'll I'll overlook my uh, my guidelines and rules just once, just mm-hmm. this once. Always comes back to bite me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, this is the this is the discipline. Well, I, I think it's really interesting that you're talking about beauty, because a lot of the young guys that I that are in my audience and that I'm friends with now, you know, who are primarily on Instagram rather than Twitter, they're really interested in this idea of aesthetics. And I think a lot of that was inspired by this uh, creator, Soulbra, who created an account, uh, Soulthetics, which is very popular. Maybe it sounds like you've heard of him. And it, it all mm-hmm. he does is just essentially using Instagram like Pinterest, really, where he's just resharing images that reflect his, his particular taste in aesthetics. And uh, I started my own one of those Renamen visuals, which I'm really enjoying. I'm loving it more than I ever expected. Like this is actually quite a lot of fun. But I think, and I think there are a lot of men that are kind of doing the same. Younger men who are appreciating the value of aesthetics. And I want to transition mm-hmm. a little bit to talk about the gentleman mystic. And I feel like I feel like the notion of aesthetics developing a sense of personal aesthetics in terms of your style, and perhaps in terms of a man's style, is part of what you do with gentleman mystics. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about mm-hmm. that. The, it's just, it, it's a matter of getting comfortable in your own skin. And, it, and, and then it goes out from there. Um, you have to understand that human beings are not just, you know, uni, unidimensional, if there is such a word, you know, monodimensional or one dimensional. Well, <laughs> I, I know that's right. Yeah. We're, we're physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. 
And you can look at that as a wheel. And in the center of that wheel is creative, expressive, you know, the, the place that the self actually resides. And the mistake that a lot of people make is that they focus only on one of those four directions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight and I've finally had, uh, I've had it with people calling me fatty behind my back. So I'm going to go to the gym and, you know, start eating right. Certainly a, an admirable, uh, approach to things and certainly rewarding as mm-hmm. I assume that you found on your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, or that, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay physically or whatever. I don't care about physical, so I'm I'm going to meditate and pray and and be spiritual. <sighs> yeah. Or you got someone that's you know brainiac or someone that's that's you know wrapped up in their emotions. The important thing, though, with this uh, act of self creation that I talk about is to is to address all four of those aspects. Certainly, they don't have to be equal equal, but you, you need to strive for balance. Mm. And, you know, and so sometimes you focus on one thing, sometimes you focus on another, but to, when I began to move from that carbon copy, that was not as good a version of my grandpa to the first inklings of the German mystic. Um, I, I mean, I, I, there are certain things that I've always kind of liked. I mean, you know, certainly like men of my generation, I'm a real big James Bond fan. And when you think of, when you think of style, you think of Sean Connery and mm-hmm. how he looked in the early Bond films and, you know, getting all the girls and he's, you know, he's competent, which is what is lacking so much in, in men today. There's, there's no courage and there's no competence. And, so to, to see that and, you know, tailored clothing and, you know, fine, whatever. So, okay, I don't want to be White Wolf Jr. Who, 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 who do I want to be? Who do I want to create? And so from there, it was, I had heard stories of one of my grandpa's teachers, uh, a, a gentleman named Blue Hair. And Blue Hair was a Bolivian. And if you have ever seen the uh, Antonio Banderas movie Zorro mm-hmm. and how how the when he was not Zorro, when he was just the guy, how he dressed, um, this is the way that um, it was described to me, or at least the way I envisioned blue hair being. Blue hair was always described as being uh, very... Uh, well-spoken, very uh, you know, multilingual, uh, incredible, uh, incredibly handsome man, um, dressed, you know, very uh, with a s- strong Spanish uh, influence. And so I'm thinking, wow, okay, I never had the opportunity to meet Blue Hair, but everything I've heard about him, I mean. That cat sounds cool. Mm. Maybe you know, maybe I can incorporate some things from him, and then you know, other aspects of you know how 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 do I wish to express myself uh, when I talk? How do I wish to express myself when I write? And it's just a uh, you know, I suppose at a superficial level, it just sounds like I'm cobbling together this this personality and this persona, <clears throat> but it was so much more than that for me. 
And then one day I, the, 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 not long after the, uh, event that I was telling you about the, my second trip to Nebraska with, uh, with Lodge, um, the, the name, the ter- you know, the term gentleman mystic just kind of came out of nowhere mm. and that's it. That's it. You know, I, I, it wasn't me sitting there. Well, what, what do I call this? What do I call what I, what do I want? You know, I, I recognize that, you know, a great portion of my life is, is, is wrapped up in, in mysticism and the, the, the experience of, you know, direct, uh, apprehension of mysteries apart from, you know, intercessors and such. Mm. And I, and, but, you know, I, I just absolutely embrace and adore this, this whole gentlemanly aspect. And rather than being a, you know, a, a suave, a suave assassin or spy, I'm, you know, striving to be a, uh, as suave as I can be, uh, elder that, that speaks, uh, you know, to, to life and to, to magic and to, um, joy. And one thing we haven't even touched on yet is my affinity for magic, mm-hmm. because to me this whole you know, this whole existence is nothing if not magical. So that you know that's how uh, you know that's me. And again, I don't I don't want to create a bunch of gentleman mystic clones. Mm-hmm. I, but what I would like to see is people having the courage to 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 experiment and 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 create something that is uniquely them. You know, we all, we always hear the, the thing, you know, you're special and there's no one else like you. Well, okay. That may be true. You know, you're, you're, you're unique just like everybody else, but t- to, you know, just to find what speaks to you, what, you know, to use the overused term of the day, what resonates with you? <laughs> But to 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 be willing to to you know I, I well I guess maybe there is something to the uh, you know picking and choosing and, and piecemealing, but when you when something makes your heart sing, you know it, mm-hmm. and you're able to that's that's a good jumping off point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what makes your heart sing today may not make your heart sing 20 years from now, but that's, you know, that's all part and parcel of the process as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, you, you, yet I have yet another one of your quotes that I think illustrates some of what you're talking about, although not specifically about magic. It plays. May I continue to read your quotes back to you? <laughs> yeah, that, that guy sounds like he's pretty good. Like he's smart. <laughs> well, I, I wish I could speak as eloquently as I write. One of these days. One of these days. Well, there's a there's a a polished component of writing that we don't often get when it comes to speaking. We just have to go with what's coming out of our brains. And as verbal people, there's a lot that's, that's struggling to come out all at the same time. I think. Well, and and two, you know, I am from the south, so I don't have an accent. And <laughs> when when people when people hear me talk, sometimes they think I ain't none too bright. And every once in a while, it's good for me to make them think that they're right that I ain't too bright. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of a comedian routine. That's like, what happens if what hap- what would what would have happened if uh, 
Albert Einstein had like a thick Jersey accent or something like that. Would anyone have taken him seriously? It's actually pretty funny. Uh, but, here's the, but here's the quote I was referencing. Uh, so what then is enlightenment awakening? It is the onset of potential spiritual adulthood, the innate recognition that all things are interconnected and interdependent, that life is composed of creation, preservation, and destruction at a cellular level, and that this realization is beyond explanation by mere words. And that's the, I mean, that's magic, and that's, is, is a huge component of that, and the participation in that process and the contribution to that process, I think. Well, I think uh, literature uh, to a degree and certainly Hollywood to a much higher degree mm. has done magic a great disservice. That's right. You know, it's it's not hocus pocus. It's not abracadabra. It's not something from nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have experienced magic in ways that uh, someone on the outside watching would go, you think that's magic? Okay. And, you know, I, one of the most common things that people will ask me is, so have you had some really mystical experiences? Have you had things happen to you that you, you can't, you can't explain? Well, yeah, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) But when, when I, yeah, you can tell that somebody is not going to let go until you tell them a story. So I can remember Years ago, there was a, uh, you know, I was working at a, uh, a corporate office where there was a guy there that, you know, he, we, we talked a lot about, you know, race cars and stuff like that. But every once in a while, we'd kind of veer off into, into these little more esoteric things. And Billy, he, he had a, a bit of an awareness. And on this one day in particular, I'm walking into the, uh, the, the office. And I happen to look down and I see a butterfly just sitting on the, on the concrete. And it, it wasn't, wasn't uh, ill or damaged. It was just, just chilling. Mm-hmm. And I got down and I'm, it was just a beautiful, just a beautiful, beautiful creature. And I'm, I'm just knowing that I should be going in and going to work and I didn't care. Mm-hmm. This, was, this was more important to me at that moment. And then I hear... Hey man, what are you looking at? I look up and it's the guy I was telling you about. There's a man butterfly. So what? Let me look. He comes over and we're both squatting down. And he he was in the zone. Mm-hmm. He was he was feeling the magic. And a little butterfly is just kind of like his kind of like his waving to us. Mm-hmm. And then we hear another voice, somebody else that that, that worked in the building. What are you guys looking at? And he walked over, and before we could say a word, he looks down. Oh, it's just a butterfly. <laughs> Turned around and walked off. Ouch. And I looked over at, at, at my acquaintance, and we, we didn't say a word. And it was like when we looked down to see the, the butterfly, and it, it had it left. It was already gone. And it was like, it's just a butterfly just a butterfly when you're you're expecting a butterfly that can fold time and space and uh you know grant you a wish you're cheating yourself that's not magic Mm -hmm. that's 
that's fiction and that's fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly there's a place and time for fiction and fantasy, but don't you dare in my presence confuse fiction and fantasy with magic. Mm-hmm. That I, I take that personally. Mm. Say more about that. Say more, say, because this is important because this, we're getting right down to the kind of the brass tacks and the root of, of, I guess, your identity in a way, like magic is so important to you. Like you would take that personally, which I honor that because so few men can actually feel something in themselves. Like, no, no, I, I take that personally when you say that, especially about something as we'll say complicated as magic. Mm-hmm. Well, when you start trying to define something in, in the context of what someone else has said is or is not, um, one of the, uh, delights of you know, my Twitter experience is having had, uh, having met and had the opportunity on two occasions to, uh, share a meal at that same restaurant that, uh, Ajak and I was at was with, uh, Jonathan Pritchard, mm. uh, the, uh, the mentalist, the mind reader. <laughs> uh, and, He's even though you can't hear it in his voice, or at least I can't, because he's been he's been out of North Carolina for quite a while. He's he's a North Carolina boy, so we have we have a lot of affinities with you know region and such. And he and I, you know, both times that we've shared a meal, and uh, you know, oftentimes offline or in the DMs or whatever, we we talk about things, and you know, the fact that he is a uh, he has made his living as a magician mm. for you know 20 something years but he is he still is as fascinated by magic as uh, anyone who doesn't know how the magic is done if you knew how stage magic was put together uh you lose the magic because it's amazing how many tricks are nothing more than a piece of duct tape and a uh, a, a paperclip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've, one of the things that I absolutely, uh, am fascinated with is the, the psychology of stage magic and hypnosis suggestibility, um, and, uh, mentalism. And I don't, you know, when people hear about that, well, show me something. I, I can't show you shit because I have no interest in the, in, in doing that. What interests me is the the the, the philosophy behind what what it uh, takes, and the um, just the human willingness to when when approached in just the right way to to drop all pretense and to experience wonder. Mm. So that mm. yeah, I I can think of nothing more wondrous. Which magic to me does not exist in the absence of wonder, mm-hmm. and you know that that you know that just a butterfly that was a that was an expression to me of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been involved in many ceremonies over the years, um, and you know when you can when you can look at a rattlesnake that's three feet in front of you. And the, the snake is looking at you, and you go from you go from a place of fear to a, 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 a just a transcendent state of awe, and you start crying like a baby, mm-hmm. not because you're afraid the snake is going to bite you, mm-hmm. but you recognize 
the, the majesty of this being. Yes, this has happened to me. Not only did it happen to me, there, I, there, I was in a group of about one, two, three, four, five other people. And we all started crying at the exact same time. Mm. That's magic. And when we were done crying, the snake turned around and left. Um, what's magical about that? It's a snake. You, you, and y'all are a bunch of weirdos for crying. Okay, there, there, there are, I, I cannot give you words that will show you the magic there. Mm-hmm. Some things have to be, you just absolutely have to experience them. I cannot, you know, I, I'm, as you have pointed out, and I've reinforced, <laughs> when I write, I write very elegantly and eloquently. You do. But no matter how good I am with my words, I cannot express for you adequately the taste of an orange Hmm. you have to taste the orange yourself the same moon that that alexander and i looked at that night we had even though we we were sitting within two feet of each other looking at the exact same space you know place in space and time we had different perspectives of it we had different experiences of it but we both recognized wonder awe and that's magic mm-hmm. so it's not it's not something that i can it, it, it's kind of like with art or beauty or uh, you know, many things in life i can't describe it to you but i know it when i see it one thing's that one thing that podcast is not good at is a respectful silence <laughs> so uh, <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> Um, so just imagine that in this space, I'm inserting respectful silence. Well, that's where the, uh, the, the, the video podcast kind of come in, but, uh, yeah, I, I understand your, your intent and your meaning. Well, thank you. And, and, you know, I think that this is, you're describing a way, it's more than a way of seeing, it's a way of being. And I think it's a way of being that's sort of has been over periods of time kind of driven out of the world or let me say let me say this it's become ungrounded which is worse it's been subverted this idea that you know previous generations of humans had a sense of the magical and obviously not in the hocus pocus kind of way or not in the fantasy dungeons and dragons kind of way but the way that we're speaking of they had a sense of the magical or the mystical or the significant that was in everyday occurrences and it gave them a certain reverence for life and for the experience mm-hmm. of life and I think the I think that the word itself, magic, being drained of that implicit meaning is probably indicative of what we're talking about. Because I think people used to walk around with this feeling that everything is incredible and I'm so lucky to be alive. And I think the poverty of our age right now is everything is ugly and angular and drained of its significance and life is meaningless or life is chaotic or life is deterministic. And it's sort of like, there's no room for magic to come in of the sort that we're talking about. I feel, but certain people, certain, certain men are, are born with that sense or, or cultivate that sense over time. But then you, you talk about the people who, you know, oh, it's just a butterfly. It's just, I feel mm-hmm. sorry for them. They probably would feel sorry for you in that moment. Like, well, what are they wasting time staring at a butterfly for? But it's hard not to feel sorry for, for people who can't appreciate the majesty that 
if it's not around them in the moment, at least maybe it will just fly in like a butterfly will on a, a everyday average day or a moon over a dinner. It's, it's, it's really sad to see. And I, I you know, I, I, it's hard not to tie that also to cancel culture, which creates this feeling of fear of people opening up and experiencing, but I don't know that mm-hmm. I want to go down that line, but it certainly seems to be something's like, how do we cultivate a sense of magic in our everyday lives with the commonplace? Cause if you can't find it there, you don't go looking for it, you know, in, in, in the cosmos, you know, and then maybe that's that divorce between the everyday and the cosmos is one of the things we're suffering from. Well, if you want to experience magic, you, whether it's Hollywood style or, you know, what I would call real magic, um, you have to, you have to have a willing suspension of disbelief. Mm. It's the old, it's the old, if you, if you believe it, you'll see it rather than if you see it, you'll believe it. Mm. And the more you engage in a willing suspension of disbelief, you know, then you can look around and it's amazing how much magic just kind of comes out of nowhere. And the, you know, people want to talk about synchronicities and, you know, statistical probabilities and, The, the more you set the, set the table for the possibility of the extraordinary happening, the more likely it is to happen. And Amen. yeah, I'm not talking about, you know, when, when people are, all right, you need, horse, you need to give me a little bit more here about what you're talking about this magic. I need to make sure that we're just not using different terms for completely different things. Anytime I seek um, a a bit of measure, I, I invariably go to nature because nature has never lied to me, not once. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just not medicine doesn't work that way. That's right. So, you know, a lot of people will say, "Well, you know, if then this is the other end of the spectrum about you know." something from nothing magic. Well, you know, if, if we, if we, uh, got our minds right and, and, you know, got the, you know, got all of the, the, the chakras arranged in such a certain way, (laughs) we could walk through walls. We could walk through walls. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, well, all right, let me take, how, how does that work in nature? All right. So, well then what is the, why, why can we not walk in, in through walls now? Well, we don't believe we can. Okay. Um, so uh, would, do you think there's any other uh, creatures and or, or entities or whatever in, in our life that uh, are, are you know, more con- directly connected to you know, the great mystery or God or goddess or whatever you want to call this, uh, your, your God service provider? Um, <laughs> What's awesome. So, so, so what, okay. Uh, yeah. Animals, absolutely animals. They, you know, they, <laughs> they don't have any of our, uh, you know, they don't have any of our preconceived notions about things. Okay. So let's go to nature then. So you're saying, you're, you're telling me then that a, uh, let's say a, um, oh, I don't know, a, uh, a magpie is, has a, a clearer connection to spirit than a human generally. Yeah. Okay. So then by what you're saying, the magpie should be able to just fly through a wall without a problem. (laughs) I've seen 
magpies try to fly through windows and break their necks. So they wait a minute. Hold on now. If they're if they're pure and and unsullied and got the connection to spirit, by your own logic, they should be able to do this. Mm-hmm. So my point being, that type of magic, while I won't completely rule it out, I'm not a cynic, but I am skeptical, and I don't see in nature that. But there are things in nature that I see that, oh my godness. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, just looking at the at the woods two weeks ago versus now, pollen everywhere. Mm. You know, the here comes the magic right on schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just the seasons. <laughs> oh yeah, it's just a butterfly. It's right. just a butterfly, and there's there is no there is no convincing someone so bereft of wonder that there is such a thing as magic. So please go to the Harry Potter stuff and the, and the, you know, Lord of the Rings stuff. I dig those too. I love Mm -hmm. them, but I recognize that those are not unlike all of our other mythologies. They're based on nature. They're based on real things that we have just kind of built upon and expanded upon unfortunately, to a point where it's hardly recognizable from the source material. Mm-hmm. It's funny, as you're saying this, I remember it back at the start of the conversation, or earlier at least, you were talking about karma and saying we could get into that. And as, and as you're saying all this, I'm looking at this quote that's next to me, karma swims quite comfortably in the waters of irony, which is your quote. And so as we're talking about yeah, right, magic, as we're talking about say personal development as we're talking about nature as we're talking about cancel culture as we're talking about the great madness i think lurking behind all of these in that it's its own way is this notion of of karma somehow whether we look at things from a personal karmic viewpoint like my own karma your own karma as individuals or a collective karmic viewpoint which is what we share perhaps as a civilization or as a race mm-hmm. or, and and perhaps even larger as a planet you know, in terms of our relationship with, because we're not separate from the planet. We're obviously part of it, as you touched on earlier. I wonder a sort of like a symphonic capstone for the conversation. I wonder if we can get into a, a discussion of karma in this way. Well, this is where it gets kind of boring because it's not, it's not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, it, <laughs> karma, you know, I, I don't know how many times, yeah, you know, in some of the circles I run in, there's some really peculiar people. Yeah, you know, the kind that will wear, you know, wear pyramids on their head, or you know, it's like, okay, great, that's that's cool. You know, it, it, at least you are you're you're still searching, you're still looking for answers. You haven't shut, you haven't completely lost your sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. Hey, I honor that, I respect that. But you know, somebody to walk into a room, oh man. And this room's got bad karma. It's just, oh. that's, that's not karma. Right. You know, now that's not to say that there cannot be energetic impressions in a room. Uh, I'm sure there's been times you've walked into a, a building or a, a room or something and you felt like, man, there's something off here. Mm-hmm. Maybe you find out later that someone had been murdered there or, mm-hmm. you know, some, some, uh, you know, high energy event had, transpired there. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, somebody that did, 
But just like you can take, uh, you, you think of the old uh, records, you know, uh, uh, el- uh, vinyl albums, basically you just got a piece of plastic that someone drops a needle in and it, and it cuts grooves in and it leaves an energetic imprint. Mm. And then you later you put another needle in and you play back that imprint. Mm. So any, any place or space where some high energy event has happened, there's going to be an energetic imprint. There's no way around it. Mm. Just ask someone who has visited the beaches of Normandy. Mm. They may not know a damn thing about D-Day, but they feel something there. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about ghosts. I'm not talking about, you know, that that's not where I'm going. I'm just talking about energy. Mm-hmm. Now, certainly karma has energy, and I guess energy but energy is not completely karmic. Karma can, and it's very un, um, unglamorous, uh, fundamental uh, explanation is just very simply this. Karma is cause that leads to effect that leads to an outcome. If you um, knock over a glass that's the cause. The effect is that it falls, and the outcome is that it hits the floor and shatters, mm. unless it's a really good glass. <laughs> it's strong. And that's all karma is. You have done something, and there will be a, a, a result. Um, usually, if you do good things, you generally get good outcomes. Mm. You get good uh, or life-affirming uh, consequences rather than life negating. Now, you know, they're, um, part of what it is to, to live in this universe is to experience chaos is to experience change. So, uh, you don't, you, you, you don't always get the same result every time you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where a lot of people get, you know, a little wonky about trying to understand karma, but you know, you can, uh, Say when you you were a teenager, you were you were a very bad man. You were a very bad kid, and you did a bunch of things, and you know, either through going to a correctional school or of your own accord, you realize, man, that sucks. I don't want to do that again. I'm not that. That's that's not that's not who I want to be anymore. Now that doesn't change the fact that if you broke into a neighbor's house. And, and of course, I'm saying you general, not you specifically. <laughs> they still, they can't prove that I did that. They can't prove, no yeah, can prove it. Yeah, yeah, we got uh, you know the, the uh, you know the statute of limitations is run. That's right. But you know, if you you know if you broke into somebody's house and stole something, uh, you can legitimately not because you got caught. You realized, oh my god, that you know my my mama didn't raise me to do this. This is not cool. Mm-hmm. That still does not uh, wash away the karma of you're either going to have to pay back what you stole for what you stole. You're going to have to go to jail. You know, so, you know, karma is not divorced from from uh, our later years. But the farther we are away from an event, the more likely we are to be able to um, create new karma. Mm. And that is, is more in alignment with what we want. Now, what a lot of people think of as karma is an, another uh, esoteric Indian term that we, I'll say it, but we don't really need to get into it. And that's something called sanskaris, sanskaris, mm-hmm. which it's, it's considered a, 
like uh, the, the example I had have been taught is that it's like a uh, a winding of a thread around something, and what mm-hmm. we want to do is to unwind the thread. And you know that's it's it's that's not karma. It's something different. But that's what a lot of people think karma is. You know, I've heard people uh, and even some teachers uh, talk about we we want to live a life that uh, that with without creating karma. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is an impossibility. Mm-hmm. You know that you the only time you stop uh, creating karma is if it's once you you have crossed over. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, we mm-hmm. we can get into you know <laughs> what is the karma on the other side. Yeah. But yes, there, there's individual karma, there's familial karma, mm-hmm. there's uh, communal, and you know part of what when when people you know and I, I I don't know about past lives. Uh, I'm more concerned with this one, right? But I do recognize that you know everything I am. Uh, genetically right now has come from a line of ancestors mm-hmm. and how can something that they experienced maybe some great joy some great wonder or some great tragedy how can that not be in this stuff you know, in my body mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people will you know you kind of use that as an excuse for you know well it's just it's just you know it's in my it's in my blood it's in in my family and you know maybe it is but you can if you can learn something you can unlearn it mm-hmm. and so you know th- that's really the unglamorous gentleman mystic take on karma it's really not that uh that that complicated a deal it's it's a very big deal but it's not that complicated I think I think it's important to break it down that way because I think lurking behind many of these conversations is how do I as an individual as a member of us as as a member of a as a, as a being I suppose as an individual being as the member of a family as a member of a nation as the member of a species you know um unwind or or change my karma or improve my karma or work with my karma because there's a component of Okay, cause and effect. So clearly what we're all experiencing, you know, literally in this moment, individually and collectively is there's some, it's, it's karmic somehow. And I think we're all trying to navigate the waters of that karma individually and perhaps together in tribes. Say, how do we, how do we reckon with this karma that we, or some earlier versions of us or past lives or ancestors, who knows where it came from, but it's here now and we got to do something with it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's sort of what's sitting, sitting in the back of my mind as we're talking about all these subjects, because they're not separate. Everything we've talked about mm-hmm. is all connected from men finding tribes to men finding their aesthetics to men uh, cutting away aspects of themselves and their own belongings that no longer serve and appreciating the finer things and, you know, the larger sociopolitical. It's, there's, there's a karmic component to all of it, you know, and we're sitting here, you and I and, and, and many of us are like, what do we do? And I, I feel like karma is somewhere behind that. And it's important to unglamorize it so we can actually look at it, you know, the nuts and bolts of it in a way and say, okay, now I see it. And it's not this mystical concept that I have to climb to the top of the mountain and get a riddle and then take back. It's like, no, it's cause and effect. Oh, well, that's all mm-hmm. it is. Well, maybe we can work with that. Well, that's the nut of, of you know, if, if you boil down what I teach or how I teach, it's fundamentals, fundamentals, basics, basics basics. Um, you know, you it, certainly there are gifted folks, you know, like the, uh, I always use a, 
an athletic example, somebody who is just naturally gifted and can um, just like maybe uh, Usain Bolt, you know, the sprinter. He just he's just he's built a certain way. So it's just the way his body mechanics are. He can he can run like no other. Mm-hmm. And but still, if he didn't train, he would not he would not reach the the full potential of his of his capacity. And there's it's simple things. It's sprinting, 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 basic footwork, not trying to be fancy, not trying to do flashy things. It's literally one foot in front of the other and, and how the foot is placed and what he eats and how he sleeps. Or if it's, uh, you know, like a team sport, like basketball. Yeah, we all like the behind the back dribbling and the, the, the stuff. But if you can't do a basic like pass, mm-hmm. shoot, dribble, you're useless on a team. And so I, I find that, I mean, they're not glamorous. They're not sexy. They're not, uh, once you have learned them, they're not really that compelling to some people. I would much rather spend my days hammering and doing the same thing over and over and over and over again for that perfection. It's kind of the old uh, quote that's attributed to Bruce Lee of, you know, don't fear the man who, who can do 10,000 kicks fear, one time. Fear the man who has done one kick 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that focus. And if, if you're willing to get past the need to be flashy and showy because everybody else is flashy and showy, it's amazing the kind of progress that can be made. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, a, a part and parcel of what we have so many, um, challenges in society is the the apparent need for everything to be instantaneous mm. now 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 and you know there's there's no uh resilience there's no durability there's no uh, um, abiding mm. rather than you know moving okay i've got that move on to the next you know i've, I've had a, a student in the past that didn't last very long mm. <laughs> Uh, I was, I don't even remember what, what we were talking about, but as, as soon as I had, uh, uh, on this particular day, given her, uh, a, a, a task or a, a bit of wisdom or something, she says, yeah, yeah, you, you said that last week. What, you know, I, 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 I want something, I want something new. Ugh. I said, well, here's something new. There's the door and don't come back. Boom. So yeah, it's, and I, I can't blame her. It's the way she was raised. It's, it's what was the norm for her. And I, but I didn't get to the, to the, to the uh, position with her where I could, you know, get rid of the old crap and then start rebuilding from there. Mm-hmm. And that, ha- I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your uh, goal in life is. You absolutely have to take the, take a self inventory determine what it is that doesn't serve you. Uh, what, what can you retask? What can you, uh, what do you have to get rid of? What can you do without? And, you know, it's like, as I said earlier, this, I, I, what I teach is subtractive. It's not additive. And if you don't, um, if you don't get rid of the crap, that's an underlying issue, 
putting more crap on top of it is not going to fix anything. Mm-hmm. So as the men are, who are listening to this, and I know there'll be quite a few that will have listened this, this far into the podcast. What are some of the fundamentals, like operationalized fundamentals that you teach? Someone comes walking in or schedules you, schedules a call with you on, on Zoom or however it is that you meet with people and you know, first, first week or first month, what sort of fundamentals are you teaching them just to get them in the door? Oh, Lord. It, uh, mostly at the, at, at the way you're describing now, it's, I'm trying to just determine how, how serious are they? How, how, um, you know, there is a tremendous amount of, uh, sincerity in the world. I don't, I don't, you know, if someone tells me, I sincerely want to study with you. I sincerely want to, uh, you know, learn what you have to teach me. I'll, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Sincerity, because there's so much of it, it's a dime a dozen. Mm. Commitment is so much, so much less prevalent, so much less present. And, you know, it, it, in a way, it sounds like a, a Mr. Miyagi thing of, you know, doing my best to run someone off. Mm-hmm. But if, if, I, if I don't feel that someone is, you know, it, it, anybody that comes, you know, through my door virtually or, you know, in real life, um, the, 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 the first however many interactions, if that's you know, weeks, months, or even years, literally, mm. uh, it's going to be going to determine, you know, how bad do you want it? Number, do you know what you want? And how, how serious, you know, don't waste my time. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I told you about the revolving door on, on the house. I've had too many people come and just waste, waste my time. Now, you know, in all fairness, people come thinking they want one thing when actually they want something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people want healing. That's mm-hmm. all they want. Mm-hmm. They, they, they want some kind of, um, some kind of salve, something that will ease their mind or their spirit. And I don't begrudge anyone that. Mm-hmm. Um, be, once somebody has gotten some level of that, the next thing is that they might realize, that, well, yeah, I really do want to learn more about this, whatever this is. And so they become a student. Then the next level is they they really can appreciate what's what's going on and that they want want to uh, take it to another level of uh, commitment and they want to be able to teach what they've what they're perceiving mm-hmm. and that's an admirable thing because the I don't teach for anyone else's benefit but my own because mm-hmm. I learn the most when I teach and uh, it's always been that way it's been that way for over 30 years and then there's the fourth level, and that's kind of where I and my beloved Lady Mystic and some of the others that uh, I hang with are, and we're the teachers of the teachers. Mm. Uh, yeah, every every day is a, a refinement of that, and you know, she teaches me sometimes. I teach her, and and, and I, I love when we both have the aha moments together. But to to your question, um. I, I, (laughs) because of the very nature of how my, my grandfather taught me, we, you know, he's a half breed Cheyenne. 
And uh, so, the, you know, a, a lot of how he teaches is is not we sit across from each other and he gives me medicine and tells me things. The the most common teaching method that he had with, with me is because he was you know, he's in his 80s, you know, and he's been legally blind for years. So I'm his chauffeur. I drive him around and he sits over in the passenger seat. And he just tells me stories, mm. tells me, st- tells me stories, tells me stories. And then the next thing I know, he's, you know, not, not tell me the story, tell me the story back mm. <laughs> or even me go to someone else and tell who already knows the stories and then see if how well I, and it's not about memorizing things. And it doesn't even have to, uh, it, it's not a matter of, it's not like Western education where you, you memorize a lot of facts and you regurgitate them. Mm-hmm. It's just like with magic. There's, it, I, I can't describe it specifically what we do, but number one, coming in and thinking, all right, uh, you know, what's your syllabus? You know, let me see. Uh, okay. So you, you, are you going to teach me to dress well? Are you going to teach me how to eat with a bright fork? Are you going to teach me about butterflies? What is this? Hmm. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see what you want and maybe we'll, maybe we'll go have a, a coffee or something. Mm. That's, you know, that's not, uh, you know, not deflecting. It's not being sly. It's not being uh, anything. That's just the, you know. Uh, maybe one day I'll I'll connect you to uh, to Lodge, and maybe you can talk to him about his perspective of studying with me for all these years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, certainly, from his uh, his perspective as a young young buck in his thirties, it's going to be very very different from mine. Well, his but, name was uh, swimming around behind, you know, in all this, like what his experience was. <laughs> yeah. Well, I loved your, I love that answer because the answer is, uh, there's a great, it might be Zen, but I'm not sure. The word is, and, and certainly I'm speaking to the man who would know, the word is mu. Do you know this word? Mew. Mew. Oh, yes. Yes. Mu. NYU. Yeah. Uh, well, which, uh, in my understanding of it means unask the question. Is that, mm-hmm. do I have a, a good grasp of that? That is certainly uh, one expression of it. Now it, it has been so long since I uh, since I did the official Zen thing, and uh, <laughs> oh, I see. But the uh, you know the whole concept of, of you know one of the great stories uh, with with Zen is okay. Uh, yeah, if if I were to to meditate twelve hours a day, how long would it take me to uh, to uh, to reach enlightenment? <laughs> Uh, could, could I reach enlightenment in, 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 in five, in five years? Well, I don't know. Oh, what if, 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 if I, if I, if I, if, oh, if I meditated 18 hours a day, could I do it in three? Well, probably not. <laughs> um, you know, maybe you should, I, I think maybe you should just, just go sit and don't worry about enlightenment and don't worry about transcendence and just learn to sit. And that's, that is so antithetical to our, Mm -hmm. our culture. Mm -hmm. So just 
Yeah, and the the uh, the, the discipline that uh, yes, the mechanics of meditation when I teach them is absolutely uh, Soto's in uh, um, Shikantaza, which is just just sitting, mm-hmm. just sit. Don't worry about uh, koans. Don't try to solve riddles. Just sit. Just this sitting, Shikantaza. Mm-hmm. The reason why why I mention that is. As as you've just done is in in illustrating the the concept with your student is, you know I, I asked like what are some of the things that you would do if you came if if a student came to you not in a, in a gentleman mystic capacity so, you know I don't know unask unask the question you know I would do mm-hmm. I w- I might do everything and nothing I can't really you know, the answer to the question is there is no answer and in the same way as you're talking about you know with the with the Zen student who asks you know. Can I reach enlightenment in the in Malcolm Gladwell's ten thousand hours? Like, if I meditate twenty four hours a day, you know, how fast could I do it? It's like, well, unask the question because there's a component of you that's already enlightened, and you just have to realize that. You know, that sort of trick them into that in a way. The sitting. I just, uh, you know, the last question that I want to ask, if we just have a couple more minutes, is because you invoked her. I wonder if you could speak about your relationship with the Lady Mystic and how she plays into all this. Well, oddly enough, uh, she was one of those students that uh, I mentioned, one of the few that hung around. Oh, wow. And, and you know, we're, we're within a year and a half age-wise of each other, so it's not like she was a, a, a little delicate flower that I, <laughs> I picked off a, off a bush somewhere. And it's just, uh, you know, one of those life things. We, uh, you know, we've been together for, I think it's about 11 or 12 years now. Uh, we've, we've both been in enough relationships and been together long enough that we really, we really don't pay much attention to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to the exact whys and the wherefores. But, uh, she, uh, yeah, she came, uh, just, uh, it was, actually, I think the first, uh, first time we met, I had, uh, was doing something at a, uh, a local, uh, new age bookstore and she came in and immediately didn't, you know, took a, 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 a not liking to me cause, uh, <laughs> even better, <laughs> you know, one of those that, uh, well, this guy's a smart ass mm-hmm. and I was, and, uh, but uh, you know, she, we got to talking, and you know, I was I was teaching and and uh, in a relationship with a, another woman at the time, and uh, so she came and we uh, we came a student. Next thing I know, she's kind of she just keeps coming around. So she's all right, and all of the stuff we told her to do, she's doing it, and it's obvious that she's not going through the motions because she's coming back with good questions, or when when she should have good questions, or. Uh, no questions when no questions need to be. And, you know, then, you know, the, uh, my uh, relationship with the other woman, you know, as they often do, it, it had you know, run its course. And so next thing I know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. But, yeah. And, uh, we, we are a very good teaching tandem and, 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 and the, the flower soldier tradition, it's very often that uh, medicine twins will teach together. It's always a male, um, um, not always, but generally it's a male and a female. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily, you know, uh, romantically uh, connected, but that seems to happen quite a bit. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've been accused of being the grandpa that just sits there and tells stories while she's far more, uh, you know, far more, um, uh, I don't want to say pedantic because that has a bad connotation, but she's, she's far more of what other people are, you know, that are educated in the West are comfortable with. Concrete, maybe <clears throat> more concrete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she, she has a, a, a delightful way of teaching um, as you know, she teaches basics and fundamentals in a, in a way that I don't, and I just marvel at how she does it mm. because she's, she's very, uh, visual. You know, I, my storytelling is, you know, through the mouth and with her, it's, she, she, she does things with things and mm. it's just, it's, it's magical. Then mm. you guys have been teaching together for, for how many years? Probably about eight. Well, she went with me to uh, to Nebraska. So you say it all, it's all kind of tied together. Hmm. So that would have been 20, 2011. So yeah, ten, good God, 10 years. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Well, and then just a, just sort of a last question. Does she teach specifically for women or you, do you guys sort of like tag team for both men and women? How does, how does that actually work? Because I know of a lot well, of women that are beginning to. She, please continue. Yeah, she has her... Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to use, uh, you know, she has her mission that is not, I mean, that I, I call her the lady mystic, but she uh, is not the, she absolutely doesn't, she doesn't do the, the, the same stuff I do. Um, but, uh, she has, uh, um, she has a background in, uh, and, and, uh, a great reliance on metaphysical Christianity. Mm. And, uh, she is a, uh, pretty damn good astrologer. And then we have the shared, uh, shared teachings of the medicine wheels and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the flower soldier tradition. Whereas I do the, you know, the, the overlap is with the, the flower soldier stuff. And then, you know, I've got the, the Zen background and the, you know, my own uh, metaphysical stuff outside of that. And then there's the whole, you know, the, the, what most people know is the gentleman mystic, but you know, I, I'm not like, uh, uh, you know, well-built fit or was it? Yeah. Well-built fitness and well-built uh, style Manny from well-built, well-built style. style. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Tanner, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll earlier on, I talked a lot more about, uh, the accoutrement than I do now. And mm-hmm. I want to get back to that because mm-hmm. I'm just so over all of the distractions, but mm-hmm. it, it, everything in its own time, it'll, it'll happen. I, I don't have to be in a rush. Mm, indeed. Indeed. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, as I know it's probably getting a bit late where you are, and so I'll try this again. Mr. Red Horse, sir, thank you so hey. much for a lovely conversation. This has been absolutely wonderful. I'd like to extend to you an invitation to say anything to my listeners. I don't usually do this, but is there anything like you, that you would like to say to my listeners in conclusion before we conclude our, our lovely dance of conversation? Be kind. Hey. Be, be kind. Don't, don't try to be compassionate. Compassion is a one of those words and concepts that's just it's been abused, misused, and sometimes it's even used as a weapon. Mm. Just be kind, and kindness has to start with the self. Mm. And if if you start there, then magical things will happen. Oh, my tradition. Hey, hey. where can? men go to find out more about you and what you do? 
Uh, Twitter <laughs> at Billy Red Horse. Uh, I am on Instagram. I believe it's. Oh, hold on here. I should have prepared all this stuff. Instagram, it's Gentleman Mist at Gentleman Mystic. Also on Gab at Billy Red Horse. And hope, I, I really hope that Twitter comes around because I don't want to have to abandon that platform, but mm. you never know. And uh, there's another social platform called Minds. Mm-hmm. That's one of the uh, rare ones where it's not Billy Red Horse. That's actually also like Instagram, Gentleman Mystic. And, of course, GentlemanMystic.com. There is a pattern here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I'm seeing it. I'll be sure to link all of those in the show notes. So, thank, thank you. you. Well, thank you so much again, sir. This has been absolutely delightful. Well, for any soul that managed to sit through three hours of this, Godness bless you. Godness bless you, everyone. <laughs> uh, from my experience, you'd be surprised. People people tend to like the longer conversations because we can get quite far in, in a good bit of time. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Now, take care. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.